Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Tuesday, July 23rd. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the long-awaited return of our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke-Masava. ProPublica's Derek Clifton will join us. And it's the return of property tax guru, Andrea Rayla. And now your host, somewhat of a property tax guru, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Works Every Time Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yes, I did. Yeah, great weekend. Wait, I was waiting for the... <laughs> Two days ago, uh, but sure. <laughs> Let's go ahead and, uh, yeah. All right. Let's I, recap that weekend man, on Tuesday. I have a great weekend. Let's see. I saw Shazam. Good movie. Like oh. Shazam? Yeah, I love Shazam. It's a funny movie. I saw Shaft. I watched Shaft again. The 22,000 Shaft with Samuel Jackson. All right. You know they're making a new Shaft? Really? Yeah, it's about a, a a podcast producer in Chicago, and the song will go, who's the sexy podcast producer? Who's the sexy sex machine to all the chicks? White Lightning. Oh, you know that one? Yeah, they're doing that one. Uh, they're so, not doing that, yeah. guys. And uh, so I saw Shaft. What a, oh, Fleabag. Run, don't walk to see Fleabag. It's a very funny comedy. Uh, it's a British comedy. It's a, a new comedy. Actually, it's not new at all. It's been on for three years. I just discovered it. I'm always always a little behind on my comedies. Thank you, Joan, for suggesting. Very dark, very jaded. Sort of Rick, Ricky Gervais meets Larry David, uh, meets Monty Python. Hilarious. Run, don't walk to see it. Anyway, spent the weekend doing all that kind of stuff, and I woke up to discover liberals and lefties and other cats of the progressive persuasion were losing their collective minds and you know why they were losing their minds dr d i'll tell you why they were losing their minds do tell tell. the new york times an article by nate Cohn. all right i'm gonna have to explain this folks who is nate Cohn? he's the geeky guy for the new york times who does the aggregation stuff where he takes all the polls and the surveys and the uh throughout the country and makes predictions and prognostications about who's ahead and who's behind in the race for the white house all right and i know what you're thinking right now huge dork yeah (laughs) in addition to that you're thinking wait i thought his name was nate silver ah that was the last guy he used to do it for the new york times he did that in 2008 he predicted that barack obama was going to win and everybody goes oh my god he's a genius and he so he went out and created his own little empire he's making billions of dollars so good for him so the new york times had to figure out who to replace him and they replaced him with a guy named nate cohen now i know what you're also thinking you're thinking what is it about the new york times that they have to hire a guy named nate every time they fill his position that's a question for another day we'll take the deep but deep dive on that later anyway 
Nate Cohn came up with this article where he took a look at all the polls and all the swing states throughout the country, and he came to the conclusion that Donald John Trump would lose, would lose the popular vote by even more than he did last time against Hillary Clinton, but he would win re-election because he was ahead in the key Rust Belt swing states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. He put that story out there, and in the aftermath, liberals, lefties, and progressives lost their freaking minds. You know how I know this, D? Because every single one of them was sending me this text. Did you see this article? Did you see this article? How could he make this prediction? But don't they know that Trump's a racist? Apparently, that's a popular thing to be in some with some swing voters. Don't you know that he's misogynist? Ditto to that one. And don't you know that he's destroying the environment with his terrible regulatory policies? Guess nobody cares about that issue except for liberals and lefties like myself. Apparently, voters in uh, swing states love their private health insurance so much that they're so scared about the possibility, remote that it is, that the Democrats will get it together to have a Medicare for all plan that would take away their private policies and replace it with a government overseen policy that they're ready to vote for Trump. It seems to be the theme of Nate Cohn's story. So immediately, Democrats, what do they do, Dr. D? You know what they did. They start fighting with each other. That's what Democrats love to do. Well, it is that time of the year. Yeah, it's, the Bernie the Bernie bros are mad at Biden. Damn that Joe Biden. The Joe Biden guys are mad at Bernie. He's destroying the party. The squad supporters are fighting the non-squad supporters. Democrats gouging, ripping their eyeballs out and fighting each other. That's what they love to do. Meanwhile, Donnie John Trump is just sailing along like, I'm going to win. I like Donnie John Trump. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so uh, is Nate Cohn right? Will Donnie John Trump be our next president again? <laughs> Losing the popular vote by even more than he lost already? What a system we have, folks. Because swing voters in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan are going to go his way. Well, we'll be talking about that all week, Dave. We can bring it in all the experts. David Ferris will be coming in. He's already written a, a rebuttal uh, to uh, Cohn's piece, which is very effective, and it'll be interesting. He'll be in here, I think, on Wednesday to discuss that. I know Monroe Anderson will be later in to discuss that. Maya Dukmasova will be in here to discuss that. Lots of people will be coming in to talk about that all week long. Personally, I don't think Nate Cohen knows. You know what I think, Dave? I think Nate Cohen was sitting there going, hmm. I need something to jack up the readership, jack up the numbers. I know what I'll do. I'll write a story that says Donald John Trump is going to win the Electoral College and watch all the liberals and lefties go nuts. And sure enough, they're going nuts. Works every time. We got a great show today, everybody. Maya will be here, like Dr. D said. DC, Derek Clifton will be here, ProPublica. He'll be talking. I know he's got some strong opinions about all these political issues of the day, and he'll be talking about them, plus all the ProPublica investigations have been going down. Then get out your pencils, get out your paper, just get ready to take notes. Andrea Rayla, our property tax guru, will be here at the 2.30 hour to explain why property taxes are going up, 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 like in the Rolling Stones song. Do you know that song, D? No. Uh, Texas going up, up, up. Anyway, forget it. She'll be discussing Let's that. Let's hear that Mick Jagger impression. <laughs> Hello, D. Yeah. 
<laughs> Wait, now I'll do my Fleabag imitation. L-O-D, how are you today? <laughs> oh, that was good. Wow. Thank you. Fleabag is really funny, folks. Not a British guy was in here for a minute. Yeah, no, just there's just so many funny characters. And, and they all talk like this. L-O-D, uh-huh, push that button. Anyway, plenty of political talk ahead of us. Before we do that, the doctor with the news. All right, everybody. I'm Dennis, not a doctor. It's the middle of Tuesday. Let's find out what's going on nationally this afternoon. And Ben, there is a whole hell of a lot to talk about in the national news today. And uh, guys, we're reading the president's awful tweet and comments regarding the squad at the end of all this. All right. The Department of Agriculture is proposing a rule to tighten requirements for the food stamp program that could render about 3.1 million Americans ineligible to receive assistance. Now, Ben, did you know? That currently 43 U.S. states allow residents to automatically become eligible for food stamps through the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, Mm -hmm. if they receive benefits from another federal program known as Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or TAMF, according to the USDA. Did you know that? I did not know the number was 43, no. Well, the agency wants to change that by requiring people who receive TANF, T-A-N-F, benefits to pass a review of their income and assets to determine whether they are also eligible for free food from SNAP. According to the USDA, if enacted, the rule would save the federal government about $2.5 billion a year by removing 3.1 million people from SNAP. All right, let's break that down. Save $2.5 billion. Suddenly, the Trump administration is worrying about saving money? They just passed the biggest tax break in the world for the richest people in the world. What was it, last year? That drove our uh, government into deeper debt than it already is. And now suddenly, I know, we're going to uh, take a thimble of water out of the debt and throw it away by really hurting hurting the poorest of the poor. That makes a lot of sense. That's like Mayor Rahm uh, back in 2011. He decided he was going to deal with Chicago's uh, deficit by closing six mental health clinics in uh, high crime, uh, high poverty areas. Yeah, bright idea there, Mayor Rahm. It was like a, a thimble full of water and an ocean of debt, but I'm getting tough on the most vulnerable people. That's generally how they do it. I don't understand this at all. The Republicans, help me out here. You're against a raise in the minimum wage. So you think that people should make do on what, $10 an hour, $9 an hour, $8 an hour. Now you're cutting food stamps. Well, did you ever think that all these industries that pay their people eight, $9 an hour are effectively being subsidized by the food stamp program because that's how the people who work for them live and exist because they get food stamps? Now you're gonna cut the food stamp program? I bet they didn't think about that. And fight, you know, minimum wage. Yeah. Uh, just don't live. Just, I don't, but get to work somehow anyway. Oh, that Republican Party. By the way, were you trashing Mayor Rom? Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> yeah, Mayor Rom gone, but still remembered. No collusion. All right. <laughs> moving on, everybody. We are now less than 24 hours away from the testimony of one former special counsel, Robert Mueller, and Ben, all of Washington is buzzing about it. How about you? I'm buzzing. buzzing? I'm buzzing. By the way, that's tomorrow, right? It's 24 hours. Let me do the math. Oh, look at this guy go. Danny Best. Yes, tomorrow. So I think Monroe will be in here in time to talk about it. Oh, I can't wait. Nice. Multiple outlets reported yesterday that Mueller planned to make a brief opening statement Oh, boy, to kick off his appearance, and that will likely be leaked at some point later today. You excited about that? I am very excited about it. And you're still, you're wanting a little, uh, maybe less wordy. 
uh, a statement from Mueller. Right? How about a clear, definitive <laughs> statement? Okay, uh, is the sun out? The sun would be out if it was not out on at night, huh? What? <laughs> oh, by the way, uh oh, he's got the Mueller report. There right it is. There. Check that out, downloaders. By the way, it's I didn't realize this. It's a bestseller. I was looking at the bestseller list the other day. This book, bestseller. I'm way ahead of the curve, D. <laughs> ahead of the curve for once. For once. I may be watching a TV show that came out three years ago and telling everybody, oh, my God, you got to watch Fleabag. But I read the Mueller report long before it was fashionable. Oh, and in case you care, Donald Trump told reporters Monday that he didn't plan on watching the hearings. Oh. <laughs> so. But uh, guarantee he'll tweet about it. Yeah. Somehow, you know, he'll be like some of our guests who come on the show. Uh, I don't watch the debates. Oh. I'm. <laughs> which, which guess are you imitating? Sounds a lot like McDumpkey. <laughs> I'm too good for the debate. <laughs> oh, but uh, you have a comment? Yes. I'm going to comment on them anyway. Shout out to McDumpkey. Please come back on our program. Don't cancel first Tuesdays. Oh, my God. He's not the only one. I'm above debates, Ben. Okay, anyway. But Donnie Trump will still tweet about it, D. Absolutely. And those for uh, who can't wait another day to hear testimony coverage, well, you're in luck. Christopher <laughs> Ray, the director of the FBI, arrived on Capitol Hill this morning to testify to the Senate Judiciary Committee. The panel, chaired by Trump's buddy, Senator Lindsey Graham, well, they had to put a little Republican spin on all this leading into tomorrow's testimony because, as suspected, they used their opening statements of Ray's hearing to present opposite views on the FBI's investigation into the Trump's campaign, well, Trump campaign's ties to Russia. I have some audio of today's testimony with Lindsey Graham. It's a little boring, but let's go ahead and take a listen. Just let me click over here. All right, here we go. I think seven-minute rounds? Yes. And uh, if there's any cleanup, we'll, we'll try to accommodate very briefly, uh, this oversight hearing uh, comes at an important time. Uh, even though there's no evidence that the Russians changed the tally of the 2016 election, I think they exceeded their wildest expectations in terms of interfering with the 2016 election. I think all of us are very interested in what we can do to make sure this. Okay, I'm about to fall asleep. You get the point. Wait, who is that talking? That's Lindsey Graham. Oh, that was Lindsey. No uh, evidence. Section 2015 authorities are about to expire. I want to hear from the director as to what that means to the country. We have a FISA warrant investigation. Okay. All right. By the way, Christopher Ray from the FBI was testifying. Yeah. Is he any relation to Alex Ray? Oh, no. the <laughs> Chicago Reader salesman, Alex Ray? Yeah. No. <laughs> He spells it W-R-A-Y. Alex spells it R-A-Y. Alex, Sun, Sunny Ray. He's sunshine. Uh, Alex, get out there and start making calls. All right, anyway. All right, anything you'd like to say about that? Uh... Yes, I think uh, no evidence that they changed the tally of the election. All the Republicans always love to say that. You know, I happen to believe uh, that they had a big impact on the election. And I also realize that if you believe uh, the polls and the people come into my studio and talk that swing voters, Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania don't care. OK, apparently hey, I, I'm very concerned about losing my private insurance, which I don't like and complain about all the time, but I may lose it. Uh, so, you know, apparently they don't care about it. It's interesting. Uh, the uh, Rep R Russian hackers went into Democratic computers, stole emails, you know, picked a fight between Bernie and Hillary. That's still raging. We're going to see the continuation of it. D. I know you're going to talk about this in a little while, so I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah, come on. <laughs> 
with, with Bernie fighting Biden. That fight, which was picked by Putin's hackers in 2016, is still going on. But you see no evidence of uh, any, uh, uh, what is it, changing the tally of the election. You don't see, because you got your eyes closed, Lindsey Graham. Yeah. Mayor. Difficult time for the FBI. <laughs> but let's not let a few bad actors taint a great organization. Okay. All right. Let's get Alec Ray on that that that, that investigation, huh? Get Alex working on okay, that. Okay. You're talking about the sales guy a lot. And finally, <laughs> as promised, this morning on Twitter, our president, Donald Trump, once again singled out the Democratic yeah. slash progressive Minnesota Congresswoman, Alan Omar, mm-hmm. of the group known as The Squad. In a tweet bragging about how he will win the state of Minnesota in 2020, Donald Trump called Omar an America-hating anti-Semite. Wow. He's just digging. He's just We're playing with fire, buddy. Playing with fire. And uh, apparently, that's his strategy. He thinks that he can win over those swing voters. Uh, and by the way, now he's predicting Minnesota. Even Nate Cohn doesn't predict Minnesota going for Donald Trump, okay? Uh, that nerd? <laughs> So, you know, basically they're saying, well, the map stays the way it is, but it's these three states that everybody's worried about. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, no, Donald Trump is just going to just keep uh, swimming in the mud and the muck and stirring things up and trying to play hate. And I guess he thinks that's his ticket to uh, victory there. I guess so, because today also during his speech to the conservative youth organization Turning Point USA, mm-hmm. because why not? Trump targeted Michigan Democratic slash progressive congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Trump reportedly pointed to his 2016 victory in Michigan, where he won by just point, uh, 0.2 uh, to argue that Tlaib doesn't represent, quote, the values of the people of Michigan. She's vicious. She's like a crazed lunatic. Then to the same group of kids said, quote, this is what we're up against and referred to the squad as AOC plus three. Yeah, he was speaking to how old were these? I didn't say. Yeah, not sure. Uh, The Republican youth. So, um, yeah, well, you know, they listen. uh, This is his strategy. This is his tactics. Uh, It's it's uh, they've come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter if they offend the vast majority of Americans because we have this crazy electoral system where they can still get reelected even if they lose the popular vote by more than they lost it in 2016. And Americans go along with it, D. I mean, we just had who was it was in the show the other day? It was a Democrat who was defending. Was it uh, our good friend Dave Feller? Really narrowed the field. A Democrat came on the show. Which one? No, but the one defending, like, well, Ben, you got to worry about the small states. What do you care about the small states? You live in Illinois. Anyway, that's a good uh, interview, by the way. Dave Feller uh, and um, uh, Jamie Andrade. Check that out after today's show. Thank you. you Uh, It was a bonus. Uh, But uh, they're Democrats of the Biden persuasion. Anyway, yes, uh, Donald Trump thinks it's a successful tactic. I'm waiting for America to prove him wrong. Democrats of the Biden persuasion. The youth of Chicago love him. All right. (laughs) Now, of course, he will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. But we're moving on. And coming up after this short little break, people, we are going to find out what else is news. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. 
Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We're live from my beloved Bright One in our studio just down the hall. I just noticed this. We're we're down the hall from the emergency exit. Yeah, right? I I know. You know, I always talk about we're down the hall from the bathrooms. We're actually, I was walking through, and today I, like, notice things. Sometimes I walk through. My mind is thinking about... We've been what? here like six months. He's an astute man. Uh, what am I going to say today? And, uh, you know, what's on my mind? I'm thinking Donald John Trump. And all of a sudden I notice it said the Ben Jarofsky show. Emergency exit. Anyway, just down the hall from the emergency exit and the bathrooms and the water fountain. <laughs> Conveniently located in my beloved bright one. We love it here. All right, We really do. All right, everybody. We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. And today's What Else is News is... Is brought to you by Mayor Lori Lightfoot's <laughs> Ticket Debt Relief Plan. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. More on that in a moment. But first, Ben, I told you people listen to our show. It looks as though our recent interview with Illinois controller Susana Mendoza was featured in an article from yes. the Better Government Association. Yes. Isn't that right, Ben? Yes. Talk about to, it. Oh, okay, you want me to talk about yeah. it? Well. Do I want to talk about this? All right. You know that scene in The Jerk, the Stephen Martin movie? Yeah. Steve Martin movie for way back when? For 10 trivia points, who was the director? Ice Cube. <laughs> <laughs> I think from now on, any question I ask uh, that is about a person, you will say Ice Cube. If it's about a high school, you'll say Whitney Young. If I know it, I'll answer it right. And uh, otherwise, just say Alex Ray. Anyway, um, so the, uh, the uh, Carl Reiner. Uh, directed oh, okay. it anyway so that's where he he sees his name in the phone book and he goes i've made it i've made well that's the feeling i had today when i opened up my beloved bright one yesterday oh we made the chicago <laughs> sun times as well i was in the sun times all right that follow me on this one i folks. we uh yes we the show the collective come on, we come on you leah me miles off in switzerland uh everybody uh made the show i mean made the uh, bright one all right here's the deal folks the bga the better government association has uh a great feature i love it it's uh, a fact check feature and it's generally written by uh kiana cepeda miller who uh would come on the show from time to time to talk about her investigations now she hasn't you notice she hasn't come on the show since we moved to my beloved bright one yeah you know why why because she likes to talk on the, on the phone okay <laughs> and we when we were back at that other station which whose name i cannot remember but it's yeah. uh whatever it's called wcu later yeah <laughs> yeah wcu later that one which is which is way way far away okay and i'm gonna go ben that's kind of far and uh can we just talk by phone so it's great we would talk by phone and she was the one who would do the fact check investigation which was awesome a politician who would say the sky is blue and she would look and see that the sky was actually gray and then she would rate it okay that's just an example she never did the sky is blue yeah yeah anyway so uh, and generally the the sun times runs the bga investigation that the bga has put on like let's say the bga puts it on their internet on friday the bright one runs it on monday got that well they did an investigation of comments that Susanna mendoza made on our show how about that d yeah. i've made it we were investigated we made it <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. We made it. Yeah, we were go. investigated. I feel like Ken Davis. Ken Davis, the host of the Ken what, Davis show. that impression? <laughs> Not a word said. Yet a fantastic impression. How is that possible? Young Kenneth will be on the show later this week, I want to say. Uh, he will be on the show with RGT. We're making his Ben Jarofsky show debut, but that's... JGT is his name. What did I say? RGT. Oh, JGT. All right. Get it right, Ben. Anyway, you know, if they were investigating me right now, they'd go, that was wrong. False. Anyway, so they did an investigation of something Susanna Mendoza said on the show. And uh, Abdin Palish, Susanna Mendoza's um, strategist and political spokesperson, alerted me to the fact that this was coming. Hello, Abdin. Hey, Abdin. Uh, and uh, for days... I was a wreck. You want to know why? Why? I was afraid they were going to misspell my name. <laughs> Everybody misspells my name. Have you ever noticed that, D? J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Correct. Thank you. You've only heard me say it two billion times. Uh, but anyway, I was living in fear. I couldn't sleep. I was rolling around. Are they going to spell it like a... What does uh, Sue Garza call me? Jarafsky. <laughs> no, she calls me Javorsky. 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 That's Are right. they going to do it like Sue Garza? Are they going to do it like, you know, like half the people in the city of Chicago? Anyway, nope. Let's give uh, Duncan Agnew, the uh, author of this piece, credit. He spelled it correctly. All right. Uh, ben Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V-S-K-Y. Thank you, Duncan. No scathing articles about you coming out anytime soon. But young Duncan. Little mistake in this story, pointing out an erroneous comment by Susanna Mendoza. And do you know what that mistake was, D? No. <clears throat> I will now read from young Duncan's article. Here we go. Two, we <laughs> Two weeks ago, Chicago Sun-Times podcast host Ben Jarofsky asked Mendoza, a Democrat and steadfast supporter of many Pritzker initiatives, about this new gas tax. All right. Did you see the mistake that was in that? You didn't see that? No. Two weeks ago, Chicago Sun-Times podcast host. Um, it is a joint program. It's a program yeah, jointly yep, sponsored yep. by my beloved Bright One, the Chicago Sun-Times, and my beloved Chicago Reader, Duncan. Go back to rewrite. Oh, damn, Duncan. <laughs> Come on, Duncan. Uh, sorry, I didn't know about the Reader. Yeah, uh, I've only worked for the Reader for 5,000 years. Flunking Duncan over here. <laughs> oh, no. It's a good story. Duncan points out that Susanna Mendoza uh, made an erroneous claim that she said the gas tax is uh, higher in, uh, in Indiana than in Illinois. And in fact, it's the other way around. Uh, and Duncan uh, did the investigation, took the deep dive, and found that his ruling was that it was a false claim. Uh, the larger point that I would like to make is that we have to figure out somehow or other to pave the roads, so some way to finance government. And one way, one thing we have to finance is road pavement. And uh, so that's what the gas tax is for. And I will throw this challenge out there. Uh oh, I'm going to enrage people uh, in the Hoosier state. They may have lower gas taxes than we do. They may have lower taxes overall than we do, but they have the worst roads. Have you ever driven in Indiana? No. Good God. Lee, have you ever driven way. in Indiana? Yeah. They're terrible, man. Potholes. They don't clear the snow in the winter. I'm just saying, Hoosiers, you don't do a great job of you know, operating your road. Just throwing it out there. Don't get all insulted at me and, and everything. Just like that, the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show loses every listener in Indiana. Uh, Fantastic. I, I love Hoosiers. I'm in the northwest corner of the state in particular. But come on, guys, do a better job of cleaning up your roads when the snow falls and paving them when you have potholes. Anyway, 
good article by Duncan Agnew pointing out uh, that Susanna Mendoza uh, said something false when she was on our show. And I'm really happy to say uh, that he spelled my name correctly. Uh, Maya's walked in the studio. But, and one of the pet peeves that she has is that when people talk about the podcast, they don't say it's a Reader Sun-Times podcast. They only say it's a Sun-Times podcast. Duncan, it's a Reader Sun-Times podcast. All sorry, right. sorry, I, sorry, I called you Flunkin' Duncan, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was mean. I know. All right, moving on here. Let's talk about the latest player from Lori Lightfoot. Once again, it's Mm. the Lori Lightfoot. What is it called again? (laughs) Ticket? Edit? I don't know what it's called. I don't know. Oh, here we go. Lightfoot's Ticket Debt Relief Plan. Mm. All right, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woman Spielman. Mayor Lori Lightfoot campaigned on a promise to bring equity and overlie punitive ticketing, towing, and booting policy that has unfairly targeted minorities and forced thousands into bankruptcy. On Tuesday... Today, the new mayor will outline her plan to start delivering on those promises. The mayor's ticket debt relief plan to be introduced at Wednesday's city council meeting would, and I have five things here, feel free to weigh in on them here. The first one, cap the fine for not renewing at $200. It now doubles. After 83 days. Yeah, this is a total scam. I know Maya agrees with me. We've talked about this on the uh, at various podcasts that we've done, uh, backroom podcasts, and we've talked about it on this show. Uh, this this scam that uh, that's been going on for about at least eight years, I want to say, where they just gouge people and they got you where they want to. Again, it costs money to fund government. The Bayer Rahm was didn't know how to come up with the money. So he goes, I know what I'll do. People who are in a predicament when they get a, a ticket or get their car towed uh, will really double down on them by uh, doubling the fines. And so, and it's poor people who can't afford to pay their tickets and need their cars, etc., that uh, bear the brunt of this one because wealthier people, like the fabulously wealthy dentist, can just write to oh, Greenwich. Yeah. <laughs> what, what can you say again what, what it's going to change to? It says here, uh, the mayor's ticket debt relief plan to be introduced to Wednesday City Council would cap the fine for not renewing at $200. It now doubles after 83 days. Yeah, so in other words, if your fine goes from 200 to 400 and then it keeps going up, so it's just a way they grab you, and then your debt goes up and up, then they take your car, and then you don't have your car, and so then you have to like, cut deals with the, the, you know, the, the gangsters at City Hall, to, or you just got to walk away from your car. And I know a lot of people, I know several people whose names will go unmentioned who've been caught in this uh, predicament. $200 in is an insane amount of money. That's, yeah. that mean that's $200, like your average person in Chicago making less than what, like $25,000 a year or something mm-hmm. like that $200 is an insane amount of yeah. money. So uh, it's, listen, um, you could argue that, and I've had these arguments, these philosophical arguments. I used to have them with the great Eugene Pincham, may he rest in peace, former Judge Pincham, was on this issue long before it was fashionable, it was way back. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would say, well, these ticketing programs is an attempt to reg- regulate the flow of traffic and too many people are in cars, et cetera, et cetera. So you could take that like philosophical deep dive argument. Uh, but the reality is just that this is just a way of really hitting hardest that the poorest people could least afford it and and shouldering them with the burden of financing government. The mayor's ticket debt relief plan would also cease same day or consecutive day ticketing for violators. Also, create a six-month universal payment plan with lower down payments and, for motorists in financial distress, more time to pay. 
Yeah, all those things, you know, back, back same day tickets. You get one ticket, the, and then you drive down the street, get another ticket, and it just keeps compounding. My, where do you park when you come? You drove here today, did you? Yeah, know? I have to. I found a spot with a meter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta run out there, and uh, it's like Monroe. I gotta run to go get my meter filled. I know. All right, so moving on here, it will also end driver's license suspensions for non-moving violations. State law allows it, and previous mayors had fought for that power as a way to trim city debt. But Lightfoot City Hall no longer will forward the names of motorists to the Illinois Secretary of State's office for driver's license suspension, provided their offenses are confirmed to non-payment for standing, parking, and compliance violations. Lightfoot also backs a pending bill that would end the penalty statewide. And finally, empower scoff laws whose vehicles are booted to request a 24-hour extension to pay their fines in full or get on a payment plan. Yeah, well, we'll see how this one works out when they finally implement it. But uh, the spirit of it, I appreciate. Again, we have to finance government somehow. I don't know why we uh, are choosing to make the poorest people pay the greatest burden. So there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on locally. And now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something that Lori Lightfoot. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, uh, and Harold Baines, who just made the Hall of Fame, all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Maya sitting here. We'll be talking politics when we return. Hey, playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show yes indeed we're back uh maya from the readers with me uh, uh and uh, maya we've been uh talking you've been sending me uh texts with tweets 
Thank you for doing that, by the way. Uh, my, <laughs> Trying to keep you connected. <laughs> to the younger people of the younger persuasion uh, who love Twitter. And some of them are really uh, great, I have to say. I was like some old guy. God, you ever heard about Twitter thing? It's this new thing. Uh, it's really, some of it's good. Uh, so anyway, all right. So we'll set this up and then um, you're ready to go. I know uh, Nate Cohn, who writes a column for their article from the New York Times, wrote this article that uh, caused liberals and progressives uh, and lefties to lose their minds. It ran this weekend, I want to say, but everybody's been sending, did you read this? Did you read that? Essentially, he made a prediction. Uh, uh, Donald Trump will lose by more votes on the popular vote than he did to Hillary Clinton because this country is basically against him. But because of the electoral college system we have, it's a crazy, insane system, he will get to remain in the White House because he'll hold on to the key swing states of Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. All right, so uh, that meeting automatically left these, you know, trying to, what can we do uh, to, to win, uh, to, you know, uh, to beat Trump in these states? And, of course, the general uh, fight is... Uh, the Biden Dems, I just throw that name out there, say, you got to move more to the center. You got to move to the right. And the Bernie Dems say, no, 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 no. You got That's the mistake you made last time. You, you got to move to the left. You got to move to the left. And they start fighting each other all over again. And what's the Maya theory on all this? I don't really have, I mean, you're really making it out to be more than it is. My, only, my, my concern <laughs> and where I feel like... Th- there's no hope in winning over people who might be voting for Trump already or who are like, no, I don't think it's a winning strategy to try to change anybody's mind. The, the name of the game is going to be turnout and getting people to getting people to feel like their vote is going to matter. And that showing up is going to matter. And as long as people feel like somebody else is doing the work for them or that, you know, the situation is generally hopeless um, that you're not going to stimulate turnout. So the whole conversation with like Biden and the centrists is like, they're trying to appeal to the people who voted for Trump and they're not even doing it in a way that would potentially like kind of like push someone to say, Hey, like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump again. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're doing it. They're, they're like normalizing him and what he's saying and trying to make like logical appeals. Um, and, uh, it's just not, uh, I, I think that's, I, I just, I don't know. It feels like a losing strategy because the people I know who voted for Donald Trump, they, they're, they're not, they don't feel bad about it. They're not, they're not really like emotionally, Re- and like logically open to having their minds change. They're like l- people who vote like low information voters, essentially who don't think that there's like anything bad about Trump's racism or about his, who, his xenophobia, his xenophobia. They don't, they don't like, it's really hard to make a moral appeal to people who like, don't see any problem with anything. And so the reason I sent you these tweets from this guy, Tim wise, who like, tweeted this up the storm uh, a few days ago where he talked, I guess this guy worked on, on um, uh, the, in the eighties in Louisiana or like nine in, in 90, 91 in Louisiana, when David Duke was uh, politically active, there running for office. And he described what actually, uh, how they fought David Duke uh, as he was trying to run for governor. Mm-hmm. And he 
the point that he was making was that like they were never able to change the minds of people who voted for David Duke. And it's actually, it hurt them when they pushed for uh, like, when the strategy was about like David Duke's like tax, you know, shady tax issues, like his various forms of malfeasance and not about what he was representing, which was being a Nazi, basically, like being a Klansman and being a Nazi. And whenever the rhetoric focused on the things about him that were just unethical and, and, and some, you know, corrupt in some run of the mill way, it actually made his politics and his, and his racist rhetoric seem normal. Um, whereas when they focused the campaign against, uh, like squarely focused it on the fact that this guy was a Nazi and a Klansman and like a horrible person that we should not have representing us, they found that they were able to motivate a lot more people to turn out to vote and they beat him because they, 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 they connected with enough people on the idea that like, we are better than David Duke. Like we deserve better. This doesn't represent us. This ideology doesn't represent us. And it was kind of a moral appeal to for people to take responsibility for the fact that if they didn't come out to vote, they were going to get David Duke. And so similarly here, like I feel like, you know, the centrist Democrats are just like very focused on trying to appeal to the people who already voted for Trump. Those people are morally bankrupt. I mean, and if they're not, they're just not thinking about stuff. They're not interested in thinking about stuff. So you know, you, what it, most of the country is sitting there thinking there's no point in voting. <laughs> you know, there pe- people are not, you know, or they're too busy or whatever. This is why I was talking about before, where I feel like that right now, what you need is people to be working very hard on voter registration and get out the vote strategies to get people to the polls in places where there's like active voter suppression going on. So it's not going to be like, you know, it's it's not going to be trying to make policy appeals to Trump voters that's going to win the, that that's going to turn people against him. It's it's literally getting more people to vote um, than did last time and uh, crafting a message, I guess, that will make people feel like it's their responsibility. It's their responsibility to go out and vote, and and the people who will who will take that upon themselves won't vote for Trump. I mean, look, that fundamentally, if Hil- like Hillary Clinton was part of the problem. Like it's it, yes, there was like a surge of, of of voters, disaffected voters or whatever, who who turned out last time. But people did not feel like Hillary Clinton represented any kind of you know uh, righteous choice there. They weren't excited about her as a candidate. So I do think it is it will be important to pick a Democratic nominee that actually energizes people and excites them. But the thing. The, the name of the game is going to be turnout mm-hmm. and whoever that candidate is going to be. I hope that the people who are like, you know, the frontline democratic candidates at this point, I, I don't know, you know, I don't really know like the depths of how campaigns work, but like if there's not a huge effort and mobilization around registration and turnout and get out the vote efforts, like it's all going to be for nothing. Yeah. Uh, all right. You've given me, a, 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 you've given everybody a lot to think about. So let's just sort of break down what you said. You, and you said something, uh, you started off saying that was very interesting. I'd like, I'd like to see you uh, take a little deeper dive in it. Um, 
you say that with David Duke or Donald Trump, if you focus on something like his malfeasance, uh, if you like his malfeasance in a way like this guy's avoiding taxes yes, or whatever. Fine. Yeah, uh, he's avoiding taxes, he doesn't pay his taxes, etc. You normalize him. Explain that a little. So more. again, this is not this is the argument that this guy Tim Tim Wise was making, mm-hmm. um, which is that basically, um, if you the, the the central problem here is this person is unfit to be the leader of this nation because of his beliefs and his actions that are like in like intensely destructive to life on in this country right now uh so when you instead of talking about that you're talking about how well this guy's got you know he's like in shady business dealings and he's not paying his taxes then i guess the argument that this guy was making on twitter is that is that is that like people are then they can set aside in their mind the central problem, which is who this person is. And then you can leave it up for debate about whether or not it's okay to avoid taxes, whether or not how common it is. Oh, like rich people do this all the time. This is a, co- like this, it, it, it gets, a, it gets into talking about things that people can have differences of opinion on much more easily about like whether or not it's good or bad that somebody's avoiding taxes. It's like a lot of people would say, you know, yeah, this is, this is like a messed up thing to do. On the other hand, there's tons of people that would say, well, this is just like part of how rich people or businessmen or whatever operate in this country and there's like nothing wrong because Trump is just playing the game which is like what he says about it always is that he was just like doing everything the way you do it at his level so at every turn people should have to confront the like reality of the children dying in cages like the reality of like death threats against members of Congress because of like the racist rhetoric coming out of the White House like you know that this and, and it's not to turn or change the minds of the people who are who voted for Trump or are still going to vote for him. It's to remind people that the debate is not about whether this guy's avoiding taxes. Like, yes, it's bad that he's avoiding taxes. But again, here in Illinois, we've got J.B. Pritzker, you know, in the governor's mansion, who's great at avoiding taxes. That's not the point. Like the the the, the central issue is getting people to feel morally, personally invested in actually getting to the polls this time around. And if all you're focused on is uh, trying to change the minds of the people who already vote, then all you're going to do is have, you know, all you can count on is the people who are voted last time, mm-hmm. which is the people who elected Trump. Yeah. Wow. So, all right, and uh, that's how I'm understanding this argument. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a persuasive argument. Actually, in in some form or another, I've been making it for a long time, uh, and <laughs> having uh, many people disagree with me on the point uh, where I was saying that the number one issue the Democrats have going for them this upcoming election is Donald Trump, and and you just spell it out, it just. It's everything about the man, his offensive comments that he repeats constantly and constantly, the embarrassment and humiliation that he brings to this country when he says the stupid things he says. Uh, I see that when I watch the debates. When when a candidate at debate trashes Trump, there's a thunderous appeal. Everybody rallies to it. And, you know, and then Dems have been telling me, no, Ben, it's all <laughs> got to have a health care plan. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. mean, you do. But the point is that if you, like... There is some, I think there is, there is something to be said about the, the basic, um, like, like the, the motivation to go out and vote on some level, like it's almost like at the level of our lizard brain, 
It's like literally whether or not when you wake up that morning or in the whatever early voting period that you're going to tell yourself, okay, I'm going to make a stop and go vote. Mm -hmm. Like there are a billion different interfering factors that that can happen that that'll that'll not get you to the polls that'll be you know that there's things going on in people's lives there's you know various distractions there's personal problems people have there's like scheduling conflicts at work there's a million there's like so many reasons why and then on top of that we have this sort of like established kind of like way that people a lot of a lot of people talk about voting, which said it like doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter who you vote for because they're all the same, you know. And fundamentally, the thing that's really different here is that you have a candidate who is like an active white supremacist who is not just even in his personal views a white supremacist, which we've all of our presidents basically have been white supremacists frankly, but it's, it's like the, it's what he's doing with the power of the United States government that is like literally like waging war on people who are just like trying to get here to survive Mm -hmm. and disenfranchising people in, in massive, massive ways. Like these are, these are, this is like a worldview that, that people have to come out and vote against. And, you know, I just feel like the convert and and for us as members of the media, I think the conversation needs to like, like w- again, like talking about how shitty Trump is. If your audience is already people who don't like Trump, like you're not on Fox News, for example, like you're not you're not appealing to an audience who's watching Fox News and it's like believing everything that's coming out of Trump's mouth. Your audience is already with you about you know not being fans of Trump or whatever. So. Rather than, uh, I think, for like us and like kind of like the quote unquote liberal media or whatever, to be constantly reminding people about how despicable Trump is, like what we need to be focusing on is like what is going on with like voter registration and mobilization efforts in, in like swing states. Like what is happening in Indiana? Like that that is a state that that like is very likely to go for Trump. It's right. It's like right next door. How do you get people in Indiana who maybe don't want to think to themselves like, oh, I voted for, you know, uh, Customs and Border Patrol and ICE agents to be literally starving children to death. Like, that's what I voted for. How do you get people who don't want to be think of themselves as people like that to actually get to the polls to or to register to vote and actually cast their ballot? Like that, that is the, that is the battleground. So, you know, I don't, I don't have any answers on this. I don't know who's doing this work, but I feel like that's like what we need to be amplifying. Um, Because for our audience, like whether it's the reader or your show or whatever, like people are already on the same page about how shitty Trump is. Yeah. But you know, well, people are not going to buy us. That's not going to buy us a new president. uh, People are, uh, uh, by the way, you said something two things I have to follow up on one uh, people are uh, are on the same page that, that they can't stand Trump uh, but they're really uh, twisted and tormented over uh, what's the best strategy to defeat Donald Trump and uh, who's the best candidate to defeat Donald Trump and what's the best uh, message to articulate to, to defeat Donald Trump uh, so they're tormented on that point. But you said something earlier. I just, I have to, uh, you said it sort of an aside. Uh, all of our presidents have basically been white supremacists, uh, which, uh, what, did you, what did you mean by that? Well, okay. I mean, look, uh, for most of our history, like people, like, first of all, until, until the civil war, until Abraham Lincoln, you had, you, 
you have presidents who were slave owners, most of them, people who were who had no qualms about the fact that this was a nation run on slavery. And even after emancipation, you I mean, Abraham Lincoln wasn't not a white supremacist. He just didn't think there should be slavery or whatever was was put into a position to take a stand against slavery. But like people like all through the 20th century, like our presidents haven't believed that black people in America have have are, are equal to white people are the same people that deserve the same exact things from the government. Like every single progressive measure that's happened in this country, that's like been a win for, you know, progressive forces. Almost all of them have come at the expense in some way of black people and, and, or, or, or has been able to advance only because, you know, like such as like with the new deal policies, it's like, it's because it's because it, it black people were carved out of those benefits that that these that these laws were passed and that these you know this funding was released for whether it's a GI bill or whatever else works progress administration programs uh it's like this is it's there's nothing new about a white supremacist in the in the in the white house but there is something new about how blatant and um sort of ungenteel this white supremacy is. And this is what, like, what's exciting to people about Trump is that he's saying what they're thinking and he's making them feel okay about saying it. Yeah. But again, like, the it's like this debate on the left that, you know, people like you and I have about, like, which Democratic candidate is going to energize people. Like, the, the, the debate should be around how do you get people to vote in the first place? The people who are not voting, people who are not watching TV, who are not engaged with politics, who basically still have this sort of like teenage attitude about how like all of them are the same and it doesn't matter who you vote for because they're all crooks. Like this is your, this is, everybody has a neighbor like this. Everybody has relatives like this. People who fundamentally like don't understand and don't believe in the utility of participating in the democratic process. Like those people are not debating on whether like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren have better policy proposals. Like they fundamentally don't see the utility in voting. And I think that when, when people are so disconnected from like, just like thinking about politics, engaged even in local politics or whatever, like they're, they're not, they're not in a position to be convinced with policy arguments. They fundamentally think it doesn't matter if they vote or not. They just fundamentally don't think it matters. So the only, I feel like this is why I kind of see the point that, that this guy on Twitter was making. It's just like, you can't, like if somebody's already in the place where they don't think any of it matters, where they don't feel the difference in their lives, depending on who's running things in their city or their state or the country, like it has to be a moral appeal. Mm -hmm. It has to be, it has to connect to some basic kind of sense of themselves that people have about like what, wh you know, whether, I suppose you can you can try to build your messaging around appealing to Trump voters and about how like hey like it's really wrong to be voting for this but mostly it's like if you don't vote th like this is what you're allowing to happen is this like this like horrendous thing that you don't actually stand for or like you want to you know people you want people to feel like they don't stand for that um and uh this is this is where like I suppose the policy arguments are they just kind of fall flat because people are not watching well, the TV yeah, people I, are not watching the policy arguments they're not reading the paper I I um I 
you're making two points here, or there's two points here I want to uh, distinguish. Yeah, I don't know if it's too clear what I'm saying. Uh, no, but you're making it. I actually agree with you. You're, and I mean, I say the same thing. Ultimately, uh, the person that Donald Trump is and uh, the ideology, the worldview, the hatred, whatever you want to call it, that he represents, that he uh, uh, ex- expresses every time he opens his mouth is reason enough to vote for him. And th- I've, I've been railing against what I call the false equivalency that's out there. So for instance, uh, and you hear this, this is uh, Democrats will say, uh, I mean, we're going to lose voters if we, <laughs> um, we're going to lose like a swing voter if we go too hard toward Medicare for all. And I'm like, you guys are comparing uh, Bernie Sanders' appeal that everybody have access to health care to Donald Trump, uh, like going to our worst instincts and our worst hatreds to win over voters. You're like saying one is similar to the other. I would love to meet a swing voter who's literally deciding between Donald Trump and, you know, starving children to death in a cage and... Medicare for all. I'm with you. Introduce yes. me to a person yeah. who's I'm making their decision in that way. Yeah. Like the the person who's a potential Bernie voter. I mean, maybe they were people. There were Bernie people who voted for Trump because they hated Hillary Clinton, and those are people who pote- you know potentially could be brought back into the fold and 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 vote the right way or whatever here. But like the. <laughs> The the point is not about the swing voter who is deciding between Donald Trump and Medicare for all. Yeah. It's it's about the person who literally doesn't think that there's any point in voting, who's sitting on their couch and thinks that they don't have to be involved. Yeah. Like that person is not I mean that person may like Medicare for all, but to go out and vote, he, they have to feel that that it there is there is like a moral imperative. Yeah to not electing Absolutely. Donald Trump. I, I, and I think that's the strongest argument that the Democrats have, and it almost doesn't matter who the Democratic candidate is, although you would like to have a Democratic candidate who can make a convincingly strong moral response to it, if you follow what I'm saying. So you wouldn't want to uh, have a Democratic candidate uh, who, for instance, you know, supported Trump the last time around. Uh, so the, I, I, I agree with you on that point. Uh, the other point I was making about uh, the, the policy issues is that uh, policy issues do matter. I mean, I don't want to just say they don't matter at all. You know, it's, it's, yeah, but it's, they do. They, they matter more when you're not in a battleground that's in te- like intensely shaped by emotional connection to one of the candidates. Like you're not, you can't win against a party everybody wants to be at. That if you're like if you're in a pool of people in in a group of people uh, where everybody is already set about going to the party and Donald Trump is their party and like they are excited about expressing themselves like that like you're not it doesn't matter what the policy is and this is this is like this is you know this is sort of like what again like what happened with uh, you know like like Barack Obama was elected because people felt good about voting for him. Like there was an emotional appeal there and a, and a, and a, and a message about that people could connect to at the time about who we are as a country. And it's like voting for Barack Obama made people feel like a certain way about themselves. They, it may, it gave people, I mean, I knew like tons of white people who were so excited to vote for Barack Obama, who like just, they were like, these were not people who had like really any, uh, 
admirable positions on anything in life, but they were super excited about voting <laughs> for Barack Obama because of the way it made them feel about the kind yeah. of person they felt they yeah. were by voting for him. Yeah. So like right now you're in a situation where a ton of people feel validated yeah. and affirmed and really good about themselves for supporting a guy like Donald Trump. Like it's very, very hard to like bring those people out of that mindset. So instead you like people have to feel good about not just voting for a particular democratic candidate. I mean, you could almost even lose that. You mm -hmm. could almost even concede. I mean, I do think that Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders could potentially, they, they, they have some kernel of potential to be somebody, to be people who are massively exciting, especially maybe Bernie. But like most of all, people need to be feeling excited to say no to Trump. Mm -hmm. And right now, like I don't see any of the democratic candidates appealing to the Indiana voter who thinks that voting is pointless. Uh, and uh, there was another tweet that you sent me, but it was about two weeks ago. I hope you can remember it. Uh, and it was you weren't be able, you weren't able to come on the show, but you wanted me to, to address it when I uh, uh, I was on the show, and it was from Jamal Bowie. Yes. Okay. Uh, and that was it. a good tweet too. Uh, so let's talk about that one uh, um, in the last couple of minutes here. Okay. So for for context. Uh, this is Jamel Bouie, who's who's a writer uh, for the New York Times now. Uh, I believe he's at the New York Times now. Yes, he is. Um, so, and he retweeted a tweet from somebody named Dave Weigel, who said, some, so this is the tweet from Weigel. It says, something everyone decided to forget for some reason is that Trump spent the final weeks of the midterms pivoting to an immigration message. The caravan was coming and Democrats wouldn't stop it. Then lost the House in every Midwest race. So then Jamal Wee retweeted that and wrote, everyone also decided to forget that Trump's popularity has taken its sharpest dips whenever he goes full racist. He dropped to an all-time low of 36.6% approval after Charlottesville and dipped again to the 30s after the shithole country's comment. Mm -hmm. So again, this is when people are having to face front and center the racism at the center of all of this, that you know, then when you're asked point blank, are you supporting the president? Like if, 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 you know, people are more likely to say no, yeah. you know, and uh, he followed that up by saying the widespread belief that it helps Trump to do his Bull Connor impression is related to the widespread belief that most important, that the most important voters in the country are blue collar whites. Yeah. And this yeah. is, yeah, this is exactly what we've been talking yeah, that's about. What like, that the, was, yeah. like, this is why we need to like, like <laughs> Joe Biden is not going to win this election the, because his entire candidacy is revolving around these people who his strategists or whatever the Democratic Party thinks like like the key to winning is turning the people who voted for Trump. And Joe Biden is the best candidate to turn those people. And that that is like such a bleak way to see our country. Well, let me just put this about Joe Biden. And I'm not it's not like I'm defending Joe Biden, <laughs> but what what's Joe, what Biden Joe, well, Joe Biden's well, message uh, of the message I've heard is that um, Donald Trump is a disgrace to the values of this country. So he's actually articulating or trying to articulate what you've been saying. He just may not do being a great job about it. He may have turned you off. You may not be listening to him. You may have written him off. You may have dismissed him, put him in a box. But that is who Joe Biden is. That is who he is. And that's what he's trying to do. He's, I am a decent American and I believe we can all get along. And I work with Barack Obama. And I believe that Donald Trump represents everything that's wrong with like the underbelly of our country. And we should not tolerate it. That's Joe Biden's message. But he's only selling it to blue collar white people. 
Well, he's, he's his his entire his fish stall is set up to only to only be selling to 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 these same people who are who who could be Trump actually. I, I disagree. I think Joe Biden's trying to sell it across the board. Joe Biden's greatest uh, at the early stages, and it may dissipate. His greatest uh, base of support are Obama voters. And Joe Biden is ahead in the polls to a large degree because he has strong support among black voters. And black voters, particularly older mm-hmm. black voters, mm-hmm. are very loyal to Joe Biden yeah. because he was Barack Obama's wingman. He was the white man who stepped up for Barack Obama and told white America it's okay to vote for the black guy. Yeah, and I mean, he's a good. It's true, and he's American. doing really well in South Carolina. Yeah, so uh, that's that. That is Joe again, Biden's message. All of that is predicated on the idea that you're only talking about and to people who already vote joe biden is not gonna excite enough people like i don't i just don't think that he's gonna do it that's a those are two separate issues whether joe biden himself can uh excite the electorate enough to win uh is one issue but the issue as to what joe biden's message is is that he's on target with what you and Tim Weiss or whatever the guy's name is saying, and that is the best way to win this election is to make it a referendum on the character of Donald Trump. But I mean, so is Cory Booker. Like, I just heard him on the radio last night talking about the same exact thing. I mean, they're all addressing that in one way or another. I mean, it's it's just... (laughs) Nobody... Like, right now, it's just hard to kind of, like, chisel out that message and he, because there's so many candidates. But in the meantime, what needs to be happening is the goddamn voter registration drives. I agree with you on that one. <laughs> I agree with you 100% on that one. And that has to be, uh, and, I'll, and this gets back to what we usually talk, we talk about so much. Uh, it has to be, it can't just be up in time, time to one uh, winner takes all election, you know, the presidential election, it's got to be an ongoing uh, outlook on life in terms of voter registration. The fight, like here in Chicago, we see it all the time. We talk about all the time that that the people stay in power because they encourage people not to vote or they make it harder uh, for people to vote or, or to run, et cetera, et cetera. We talk about the Andrea Reyes coming on the show at 2.30. They kept her off the ballot uh, for two weeks. I think it's tied to the, the larger issue. You make it harder for people to vote. You use the mechanism. We talked about it last time. We had uh, Michael Dorff was my guest this week. He was the uh, election lawyer for the kid that you wrote about in the 13th Ward. Ridiculous that Michael Madigan... Uh, would fight so hard to keep that kid on the ballot. Marty Quinn mopped the floor with him anyway. So yes, you're absolutely correct. But that's the the, the process of getting people, encouraging people to vote, and making it easier for people to vote, uh, making it like a no problem thing. That should be 24 seven in our country. Yeah, right. And that and that is where I feel like the bulk of the resources and efforts of the Democratic Party need to be right now. Fair enough. That's uh, Maya Dukmasova from the Chicago Reader. We have uh, Derek Clifton from ProPublica standing on deck. We're going to bring him on. Are you going to stick around or do you have to go somewhere? I'm a busy woman. Uh, (laughs) I guess that means she's got to go somewhere. Uh, it's always a blast to have you in the studio, Maya. And I was going to say, we're going to have a whole bunch of shows. I'm letting the cat out of the bag. Uh, Maya going to take our act on the road. Uh, Get excited, folks. Yes, get excited. We're We're coming back. We're coming back. Parties. (laughs) 
Uh, we're going to be doing um, uh, election night uh, uh, gatherings. I don't have all the details. In front. I don't have the details in front of me at all. Uh, but for uh, the Illinois primary, for Super Tuesday, mm-hmm. we're going to do some uh, uh, debate and watch parties. And the reader is going to figure out where they're going to be. And they're going to take you, me, Dr. D. and uh, All da- our friends. All our friends. And, uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll bring our guests yep. that we bring along. You know, uh, to Adolfo, I'm sure, will be coming to one of them at least. And uh, so maybe we can even get Derek Clifton to show up. Who knows? Uh, to one of the parties. Came to the last one, by the way. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, we'll be uh, having those details, Maya, uh, in a couple of weeks or so. So anyway, Maya, thanks for coming on. Thank Derek's you. up next. We'll be right back after this. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. I was six years old when a presidential candidate came to the California Democratic Convention and said, it's time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans. That candidate was then Senator Joe Biden. He's still right today. If we're going to solve the issues of automation, pass the torch. If government failed you, maybe you're the problem, Joe Biden. It's not rocket science. What was the good one last week? Remember, Joe Biden comes out. Well, if you elect me president, I'm going to cure cancer. Wow. Why the hell didn't you do that over the last 50 years, Joe? Uh, what a douchebag. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, July 23rd. is just moments away. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. You people are amazing. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Yes, it is Tuesday, July 23rd. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue... This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, journalist Derek Clifton will join us. And we welcome back property tax guru, the one, the only, Andrea Rayla. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Derek Clifton's in the studio. Uh, Derek Clifton is in the studio getting ready to talk politics, politics, politics. Before we do that, D, 
Got an update for me? Absolutely. We've got two updates here. First up, boy, President Donald Trump really doesn't want us to see those tax returns. Mm. Trump is suing the House Ways and Means Committee, as well as New York state officials, to block the disclosure of his state tax returns. Trump is seeking an injunction in federal court of a state law that would allow New York officials to hand over his state tax returns to the House Committee. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump up to no good. Huh? He doesn't want anybody to know how he made that money, how much money he has, maybe how much money he doesn't have. Who knows what he's con- what his intent to conceal is, but he's concealing. Gotta say, the more and more he doesn't want us to see him, the more suspicious I've become. <laughs> I've been wanting to see it's him. Funny how that time. works, huh? You know what? Uh, Maya just went on a great riff uh, the, before about how uh, most people in this country, you know, this is not going to be a pivotal issue. But I got to tell you, it's the uh, the journalist in me that, that I'm really curious to see these taxes. And so uh, I, I, I'm I really hoping those judges rule against him. Now, coming up a little later, we're going to have an update on 2020 presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. And we will be asking... The Bernie question. Oh, I'd love to hear what Derek Clifton's thoughts on the Bernie question. Get ready for that. But we have another 2020 Democratic (laughs) POTUS candidate making some noise today. And editor Leah, please hold your excitement. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. (laughs) Leah loves Cory Booker. Oh, man, Leah loves Cory Booker. Still not sure why. But because it's the hip thing to do when you're running for president as a Democrat these days, Cory Booker went after fellow presidential candidate and former vice president Joe Biden over the former vice president's plan to overhaul the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. The New Jersey senator said in a statement that Biden, who helped craft the 1994 crime bill that many blame for an explosion in the U.S. incarceration numbers, was, quote, not the right person to fix the failed system. Booker on Twitter said, quote, it's not enough to tell us what you're going to do for our communities. Show us what you've done for the last 40 years. You created this system. We'll dismantle it. Mm. It's interesting. Cory Booker is so forceful on this issue. Cory Booker has been part and parcel of the same Democratic Party that Joe Biden is. And Cory Booker never fought against these uh, arcane systems of jailing people left and right uh, on the d- drug war in particular. In fact, Cory Booker, among other things, and when it comes to education, was a huge supporter of charter schools, which are anti-union uh, and uh, forced teacher salaries down. And essentially, we're a way for Republicans to get advantage. I'm just saying that no one's perfect in this race. Cory Booker's not perfect in this race. Joe Biden's not perfect in this race. And uh, you, if you want to try to distinguish yourself uh, from Joe Biden and the policies of the centrist Democrats, then you should have done that. You could have done that in the 10 years you had or the 15 years you had as a public servant before this. Just saying that, D. Follow us on social media, guys. At Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Twitter and Facebook. The Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram. Ben's in charge of the Instagram account. How's that going, by the way, Ben? <laughs> really, I put a picture of myself at All the right. White Sox game. Up, oh, so, cool, yeah. cool. How, we, we're... <laughs> We're getting popular. Have we made it? Are we rich? Uh, no, we're not rich. Ah, we're damn. definitely not rich. I got a lot of issues with social media. Everybody knows that. I'm like Maya's always sending me tweets that this is a tweet you should read. God bless Maya. She's keeping me up hip on tweets and Twitter, uh, and also trying to keep me uh, up and hip and uh, cool with Twitter is Derek Clifton, our next guest uh, in the studio. Well, welcome to the show, Derek. I try to keep people hip. How are you doing, Ben? I'm, I'm doing very well. <laughs> And Derek, it's your first visit to the show. So why don't you take a little moment to introduce yourself to people, tell them who you are, how you, you know, what your background is, that kind of thing. 
Awesome. Well, I have covered uh, issues of identity, culture, and generally social justice issues as a freelance journalist and in newsrooms for the past six or so years now. I'm an alum of Northwestern's Middle School of Journalism. I'm a former Chicago Reader columnist and also currently a contributor to NBC News, uh, a number of other uh, digital publications, uh, formerly uh, as a staff writer in the identity section of Mike.com, which there is a pretty damning post piece about today that I will not talk about. But all I'll say is, if you want to know about the state of journalism and what is necessary to keep the institution afloat and make people care about it, learn from the lessons and the mistakes <laughs> that that company made. Wait, uh, which company? I, I didn't Mike.com. <laughs> what, what did, I didn't see the article. Just... Ooh, so it, it really delved into detail around a lot of the uh, just exploitation of, you know, in terms of economic exploitation of writers, of the grief and pain of writers from marginalized backgrounds, uh, poor management decisions made by startups that are supposedly catered to millennials who, who want to read media that uh, is reflective of their values or that uh, kind of cuts to the quick on a lot of the key issues without a lot of the double speak on race or gender or LGBT issues, uh, you know, not th- without the equivocation, but also, uh, you know, they wanted to package it and make it friendly and viral and buzzfeedy. And, you know, a lot of these millennial media companies have been downsizing or otherwise falling off altogether because they simply do not listen to the people who actually know the industry, let alone it can be ageist oftentimes where people who have been in the industry for decades are not given seats at the table, let alone enough autonomy to actually run a newsroom. And so you wonder why people today on the internet cannot tell the difference between a viral cat article as news or an investigative report from any credible outlet. Mm -hmm. So I say that to say this, I had to, me personally, a lot of people have reacted to that piece today. I had to leave that space in order to take back control of my voice. Mm. And that's part of why, you know, I moved back to Chicago from New York to, to freelance and to go more independent. And it was why I was, you know, really excited and grateful to have written a column for the reader during the election season and continue freelancing ever since. Mm-hmm. The election season of 2016. 16 election Correct. season. Yeah. Uh, the election season that uh, brought us Don Trump, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know if you heard Maya's riff or part of it. Uh, she was on a great riff when yeah, she was here. Yeah, she was. And I just thought, what what's your reaction? to what she said if you missed most of it i could summarize it uh for you okay uh her essential point is that it if the democrats want to win this next election if they want to beat donald trump maybe even take back the senate let's put that to the side for the moment uh then what they have to do is make it clear uh who they are running against put those positions that donald trump is taking up up front and center uh, so that America is forced to deal with the fact that uh, he is a racist and a bigot uh, and and America has to come to that decision. Do we want to be represented by a man who said, articulates the following things? And she says that is the key to getting people to turn out to vote uh, and to vote in great numbers uh, for the Democrat and effectively by voting against Donald Trump. What's your thoughts on that? Whoo, that is a big bite. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of various, you know, ideas out there in terms of what a strategic approach could be uh, on either side of this election, uh, regardless of party. And of course, there are some folks on the Republican side who are considering challenging, you know, Donald Trump as a standard bearer. I don't know what, what will become of that. Um, 
and it'll be interesting to see if anybody does uh, take him to a primary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not holding my breath, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, though at the same time, you know, I do wonder uh, whether or not appealing again to the uh, white identity politics or the white racial grievance that Trump has tapped into and and moderating that from the other side of the aisle is going to be an effective strategy. So in many ways, without getting into too much detail, I think Maya may have some some points here on uh, whether or not it would be most effective for for one side to make it a, a race about character versus and or even also about policy versus going after a very what we should probably understand is more of a niche <laughs> base. But you know what I mean? Like it, it just it just seems as though there's just too much focus um, away from the meat and potatoes of what people are going through. I think this is a both and calculation um, character and policy. What do you mean by the meat and potatoes? How has what he has done affected people materially? And that's been a refrain in almost any election you can think of, whether or not the incumbent is a Democrat or a Republican. Right. And I think if people talk about the issues Mm -hmm. like a lot, like Toni Morrison often says, like racism is a distraction. It's it's often a smokescreen for all the other mess that's going on that people don't want you to pay attention to. And oftentimes the people who call it out on the carpet are accused of being racist. So, again, it is a spin cycle, a constant spin cycle. And if we do not get out of the hinges of that, we do not get to actually talk about what the hell is happening to people. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping me personally, I'm hoping we talk about issues in this election. And can you talk about issues as it relates to character? You absolutely can do both. Wow. Uh, that's uh, almost two diametrically opposing views in one show. <laughs> you talk about the spin cycle. Uh, Derek, my head is spinning <laughs> uh, because uh, Maya just gave a very, uh, uh, what I thought was effective uh, articulation for why the character issue was primary, number one. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, listen, and then I try to, I do believe that. Uh, I don't. I don't buy into completely. Like, like for instance, policy p- uh, positions don't matter. For instance, Andrew Rail is coming on next, property tax expert, and I think that we as a people, as a civilization, have to figure out an effective, fair way to fund government, which is essentially what the property tax fight is gets to the heart of. Derek, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, if you put too much of uh, of a burden on financing government on the people who can least afford to pay it, then guess what? You're not going to have the money you need to finance government, and it's going to be unfair. You're going to feed all this delusion. So I do believe policies matter. To say they don't matter um, just renders everything hopeless, if you follow what I'm saying. Uh, But people, I understand that people don't really, the great mass people don't take the deep dive uh, into, you know, the, the intricacies of all these points. And, and it doesn't even have to get super detailed or intricate. You know, people, for example, I think if we go back to the 2018 midterms, a lot of people, if I recall correctly, came out uh, as a result of what they saw as uh, a, a threat to their health care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that is a policy issue. If you want to tie that to character, uh you do have a lot of people out there who would connect in action on that issue. I mean, in action, I mean, you know, either neglecting the needs of Americans who 
who desperately like just needs some kind of way to have the ability to see a doctor or to get emergency care without, you know, going into severe debt or, you know, being able to access, you know, healthcare through their government. And you have officials who want to take that away from them and they turn out to vote on that. You have some folks who are like, hey, you are complicit in people dying or being financially ruined. That is a connection to character. So that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's a either or on this. I think it's a both and that it's it has been done and that it can be done again mm-hmm. and it can be done by either party. All right, Derek. Now, uh, as, as you learned, uh, being a guest on the Ben Drives show often means you have homework assignments mm. and you received a homework <laughs> assignment. Uh, guests on the Ben Drives show uh, get little texts from me saying, read this article, please. I can't make you read the article, but really hope if you do read the article or the column, what have you. And I sent you uh, a column by Charles Blow in the New York Times, and uh, you sent back a report to me that you had read it uh, and you had digested it and thought about it and loved to share your thoughts with people, uh, our listeners right now. So um, let's let's first talk about uh, Charles Ball, a columnist uh, for the New York Times. I think the article ran on Saturday or Sunday. I can't remember when, but it, it it's generated a lot of uh, excitement and a lot of response and reaction. And uh, well, why don't you you why don't you start by just sort of describing what his his main point was? So Charles Blow in this column, you know, from from my read of it, really, you know took it to the media and to others who uh, it, who would otherwise say that calling out white supremacy or calling out racist views as racist, the capital R racist, um, people who have hesitations about that, um, you know, as a problem. And as part of the reason why we've gotten to where we are now in terms of the national dialogue, uh, whether it is, you know, from a lot of the mainstream press who have been hesitant uh, to call certain views of the president racist or other members of Congress or other elected officials as racist views, how that has allowed people to excuse these views away. Um, And also how that bleeds into everyday society where, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you end up being called the problem. And Lord knows I've gotten a bunch of hate mail and hate tweets for writing about race and racism over the years and being accused of being the problem, being the divider, because you dare to say, hey, you calling somebody the N-word, the white person is racist. Oh, no. If, if black people can say it in rap songs, why can't I say it? Not the same thing. Golly. <laughs> and, and there's no yeah. education largely about this kind of stuff in schools Mm -hmm. because all they mostly do is go to Black History Month. King said I had a dream. Malcolm X said by any means necessary to even get to Malcolm X, Lord knows. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe they talk about Lincoln freeing the slaves and George Washington Carver helped make peanut butter and that's all you get. You don't really get a deeper understanding of the original sin that is slavery and how that in so many ways rests at the foundation of America as a country and the institutions uh, that it is born forth. And, and people today don't want to recognize the fact that that legacy of slavery still very much exists virtually everywhere we look, whether it is overt or insidious. And racism is a huge part of that. In fact, it is it, right? So. I think what Charles Blow was getting at to bring it back to his column was that you got to call it for what it is. 
and refusing to call it for what it is creates the problem we have. And uh, do you think that, uh, or do you even worry that if you talk too much about it, you're going to turn off uh, people and get them to vote for Donald Trump, which seems to be sort of a fear, a fear uh, that many white strategists have. Uh, uh, Derek, follow me on this, that if you talk too much about the racist appeals of Donald Trump, you'll turn off voters and they'll end up voting for Donald Trump. I have a hard time with this theory on many fronts. I think people should denounce it. I agree with Maya very strong. I actually think, uh, aside from being the right thing to do, I think it's the tactically the right thing to do. It, those two things aren't always the same. Um, yeah. But uh, what's your thoughts on this? Oh, Lord. Um, this is hard. Um because I even think about it in just everyday dialogue sometimes, right? Where, I mean, I, I go back to being a student at Northwestern as an undergrad. And at that time I was writing for the school newspaper. And some, I even wrote about when uh, birtherism and Trump's, you know, behavior and, you know, being like kind of the standard bearer of birtherism ultimately gave way to the sitting president releasing his birth certificate and being on the front page of newspapers around the world. And I sat there wondering, not wondering, I was around white students who justified it and said, well, if they, the people think he could possibly be from Kenya and not a, you know, native born, you know, citizen, then we should be asking for his birth certificate. I'm like, you think they would have checked that before they allowed him to set foot in the white house. Don't you? It's 2011. Are you all freaking kidding me? Yeah. And how could you not call this racist when you have all these other commentators, all white, trying to just denounce the man's qualifications. Oh, he's affirmative action president all the way. There's no way he got into Ivy leagues without any kind of special assistance, which don't even get me started on that tangent. But like, golly, even then people didn't want to call birtherism racist. And I felt like I was talking to, I was blue in the face for a good year to the point where I would get dirty looks walking down campus. I got sped on by a white man once, an older white man at the gym working out. I was months away from graduating and you know, God dong gone well, I had a barbell in my hand. I felt like Sophia in the color purple, <laughs> but I had, <laughs> but I had Sophia's wiser voice toward the end of the movie yeah. to Seeley. Don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't ain't worth yeah. it. I'm like, I got scholarships, parents who worked their booties off to get me here. I cannot react back. And I didn't. Um, and all I say is to say this, it can get exhausting mm-hmm. for people of color, especially black folks to talk about this stuff. If you're talking about it in terms of political strategy, you know what I mean? It, it really comes down to how you package it. What do you make this about? Do you make this about a tit for tat on whether it's racist or not, which is not the point. That's not the point, whether it's racist or not. We can, we can go back and forth on that all day. When it's clearly an overtly racist, it has to be defined as such, but we also have to point to what the consequences are. Yes, it may not be quote unquote politically correct or it may be racist, but what does that mean materially? Again, bring it back to character plus policy. Racist viewpoint on Mexicans. How does that give way to the situation with the immigration policies. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Racism in terms of housing policies. How does that give way to foreclosures on black homes during the Great Recession? Again, it's connected, but without making that connection, it becomes a 
game about feelings. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I'm tired of playing the game of Colin the white feelings when it comes to the reality of black lives and lives, people of color in this country. But also there are people who are white and who are economically disadvantaged that need to also be spoken to as well. And it really takes people who are also white, who understand this, to not be silent. That's what Charles Blow was saying. Uh, by the way, you said, don't get me started on the affirmative action president. So I'm just going to, in the, the few minutes we have left, get you started on that. What? Oh. <laughs> uh, when someone says, don't get me started, I'm like, I want to, <laughs> let's get started. So what? what's the starting that you didn't want to get to? Oh, my God. I'm just like, number one. Affirmative action, right? Mm -hmm. People love using affirmative action as a talking point to delegitimize any person of color, including the one sitting in front of you, um, who gets any kind of qualification position of, you know, what conventionally considered prestigious admission to an elite institution. I think it was one time it was a friend of mine. We're still friends and this is water under the bridge, but literally when we, there was a lot of activism on the campus around the low matriculation rate of black students at the time. And someone was talking about it. And a friend of mine who was an international student goes, well, maybe there aren't as many black people here it's because, you know, uh, some of the other people of color tried harder. And, you know, the ones that are here are relying on affirmative action. I said, and I didn't even have to go here. I just said, well, your test scores. And I said, I, I scored higher than you, actually. So don't give me that card. <laughs> But also uh, think about all the other barriers yeah. that people have to face in a society where there has been gate after gate after gate closed. Yeah. So affirmative action is about providing some more equity and access, not about choosing who wins and who loses. And that's how you got that ridiculous case uh, from University of Texas that ended up not going anywhere. Yeah. Again, it ties back to white racial grievance on there being a so-called double standard where none exists. Yes. All right. Uh, Derek Clifton, uh, where can people find you and your work? Uh, read some of these uh, essays and columns that you were alluding to. Uh, where can uh, folks find you? I am always on Twitter, twitter.com slash Derek Clifton. <laughs> um, my personal website slash freelance website, DerekClifton.com will be relaunching soon, though otherwise, you know, on Twitter, you know, I, I routinely share my, my viewpoints and on occasion, excuse me, outside of my, my full-time role, which I'm not talking about on this show, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I do occasionally contribute to a number of other publications as well. So, you know, Twitter's the best way to keep up. All right. Very good. Uh, thank you so much, Derek Clifton. We have Andrea Arelis sitting on deck. We're going to bring her on, shift the conversation to property taxes. She's ready to go. She's fired up. Oh, she's giving me some. Oh, yes. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about this. Uh, and uh, yes, you want uh, me to show uh, Derek this as well. This, of course, is this caricature. Oh, my God. Uh, the Jihad Squad yeah, meme. Just, yeah, the Jihad Squad meme. Uh, if you, uh, we talked about that. That was uh, the the Illinois Republican Party that uh, some, they, they took it down uh, from their website where they, uh, and, and, and it got reposted by a different organiza- Republican organization in the state today. Yeah. Well, they're doubling down on it. I mean, I don't know why they're pulling it. You know what I'm saying? They're just doubling down on it. The, the whole uh, notion that uh, the members of the squad, uh, Congresswoman uh, Tlaib, Ocasio-Cortez, Omar and Presley, or somehow or other, these frightening terrorists uh, who are just, you know, political jihad is their game. I mean, it's just a sickening meme. 
uh, Ayanna Presley, by the way, they have her pointing a gun, shooting the gun, um, is a, for what it's worth, a resident of, a former resident of the city of Chicago. I don't know if you knew that. And a graduate of Francis Parker High School on the north side of Chicago. She's now a congresswoman from Boston. She moved to Boston to go to college and she stayed there and the, that's where she launched her political career. So when they go, go, you know, go back to the country you came from, which is what Donald Trump says regard to her. I always, my joke is, well, you mean go back to the corner of Clark and Belden on the north side of Chicago? which is where Frank, uh, Francis Parker is because she's from Chicago. So uh, the whole thing was absurd uh, and hate-filled, and I will denounce it. I don't care if it's politically untactical or whatever the word is, Derek mm-hmm. Clifton, uh, <laughs> because uh, I don't think that uh, this country should be tolerating it at this time. Um, I know the city of Chicago, we've had so many issues on this front going back before you were born, Harold Washington election in 1983, and Bernie Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders, Bernie Epton's people, uh, supporters were trying to uh, uh, whip up the worst fear and hatred that white people have about black people in order to defeat Harold Washington. And ultimately, I think that shining a light on it uh, enabled Harold Washington to get the votes he needed to get elected best mayor we've ever had in the city of Chicago. And anybody who would tell Black folks are people of color to go back. But I'm going to be specific to black folks. I'm black. That's what I know. Me personally, the best. If you tell a black person to go back and you're white, then I'm going to say, well, where's the ride you brought me on? Shoot. <laughs> if, if we got to keep it real, we were bought here on ships against our will. We were doing just fine in Africa. My ancestors. I know I'm a descendant of slaves. So I'm like, the fact of the matter is, you want to say go back? Guess what? This is Native American land that we all live on. Period. We have to acknowledge that. And, 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 and that's what really bugs me about that whole dialogue on go back to where. All right, very good. That's Derek Clifton. <laughs> I'm Ben Jarofsky. Andrew Rail is on deck. We're going to bring her on. And Doris Davenport has just walked into the I just had to say hi, Doris. Uh, love hey, Doris hey. Davenport. Uh, anyway, uh, Derek, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, as always, Ben. Appreciate it. We'll be right back with Andrea. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey! Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Jett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Ink type millennials. <laughs> and for the record, I love puppies. John Kennedy <laughs> did not idea. say, John Kennedy did not say, I'm, I have a plan to get a man to the moon, and so we're going to do it, and I think we can all work together, and maybe we can get a man on the moon. John Kennedy said, by the end of this decade, we are going to put a man on the moon. Because John Kennedy was back in the day when politics... 
Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Hey, listener, have you explored the new suntimes.com? What? No? Oh, well, our team at the Sun-Times recently launched a brand new digital experience just for you, making it easier than ever to get the latest news and stay up to date on everything happening in Chicago. It's the same stories you love with a brand new face. Take a moment to check it out now and let us know what you think. Visit suntimes.com today. Now back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times in our beautiful reader, Chicago Sun-Times studio. Beautiful. Beautiful studio uh, just down the hall from the bathrooms and the emergency exit. <laughs> yeah. All right, just learned about the emergency exit today. My eyes were open. I woke, as the millennials like to say. Uh, it only took me six months. The uh, Andrea Rail is sitting on deck right ready to talk property taxes, property taxes, property taxes, property taxes. Is she going to talk right? about property taxes? We're going to talk about property taxes, okay? Okay. Uh, and. Uh, an issue I could talk for hours and hours about, and so can Andrew Rayla before we bring her on. What you got for me? All right. Well, I said uh, later on today we're going to be doing the Bernie. Qu- Hold on, the Bernie question. Ooh, Bernie All right. Sanders. Very good question. Andrew Rayla was for Bernie Sanders long before it was fashionable. All right. All right. <laughs> we're going to talk about the Bernie question a little later, but I realized I have a Biden question. Ooh, Joe yeah, Biden. I kind of I kind of thought about this today as uh, we were doing the show with Maya and then Derek joined as well. Um, here's the Biden question. Joe Biden. Will Barack Obama endorse Joe Biden? If he does, will that kind of seal the deal or does he want to endorse Hold Joe on. Biden? Let's uh, Barack Obama on the issue of who will endorse. Yeah. Hey, Barack, he's under the table. Hey. Hey, come on out, Barack. Don't be scared. Uh, uh, Barack Obama's not high. He's hiding. Hey, man, I'll put it out there, and this is not, we're, you know, Andrea Rayla and I are going to be talking about property taxes, uh, but everybody knows that Joe Biden was there for Barack Obama, okay? Don't pretend like he wasn't there for Barack Obama. Everybody wants to reinvent Joe Biden as this demon in the Democratic Party, and I get in trouble with my friends of the leftist and liberal persuasion whenever I dare to defend Joe Biden, okay? They all tell me, well, Ben, what about this, that, and the other thing? Which, by the way, I didn't see any of them fighting any of those things. You know, they're like, oh, Joe Biden was uh, for the Clinton horrible crime bill. Yeah, well, most of you voted for Bill Clinton. I didn't see you complaining about the crime bill in the 90s in real time. It was journalists like me writing in the reader. You know what I mean? On the edge of society, nobody was listening to us writing about the crime bill and people getting thrown into jail for the unfair uh, prosecution, selective prosecution. Black people get prosecuted for stuff that white people do. So, you know, now everybody's like Joe Biden is the pinata that everyone's hitting. Like he's the, the blame for it. Where were any of you back in the 90s? So don't get me fired. I'm fired so, up about Joe Biden. So Barack Obama should come out and testify to the good uh, character of the man who stood by him for eight years. But does right? the fact that he hasn't yet mean that he's going to? I don't think he's going to. 
is Barack Obama going to stick his neck out for somebody other than Barack Obama? He, he stuck his oh, neck wow. out for Rahm Emanuel, didn't he? Yes, right? You're going to stick your neck out for Rahm Emanuel be re-elected mayor of the city of Chicago? Take you a could. chill pill, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just get fired up. Everybody is pounding Joe Biden, you know, and... I know that there are things that Joe Biden has done that, through his career that have really upset me. He, the way he handled the Clarence Thomas hearings back in 1991 to this day upsets me, okay? And, uh, but he's like, to turn him into like this demon that, that is everything that's wrong with democratic politics, I don't know. I think that's going too far. And I wish Barack Obama would speak out, but apparently the only uh, Democrat he'll endorse is Rahm Emanuel these days. So Feel anyway. free to answer the uh, Biden question on the Ben Drosky Show Facebook or Twitter page at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, because it seems like, yeah, that would probably help out Biden right now if uh, Obama Listen, did that. I know there's a lot of millennials who, did, who look back, they didn't live through it, the, uh, the, the Clinton years, and they look back with disgust at the issues uh, and the things that Bill Clinton did and the, how Joe Biden supported him. I understand them. They didn't live through them. But you older Democrats, you were supporting Bill Clinton. So don't act like you already suddenly woke, as the millennials like to say. <laughs> I'm just saying it. You know what I mean? Oh, Joe Biden's terrible. Oh, yeah? Why'd you vote for him if you hated him so much? You know, he was Barack Obama's vice president. You love Barack Obama. And if you thought that question was good, coming up before we go, the Bernie question. All right, Bernie said. All right, let's go turn our attention to Andrea Rayla, uh, who is a property tax expert. Now, Andrew, was I fair to say you were for uh, Bernie long before it was fashion? I seem to remember back in the day, you were, a, well, you can't say you're a Bernie bro, but weren't you for Bernie back in the day? No? I was a, I was a Hillary. Oh, yeah, Hillary. <laughs> Got it wrong. Uh, was, Sorry about that. That's awkward. <laughs> But before that, weren't you, didn't you, like, there was, no, there was um, a mixing of Bernie with, oh, come on, help me out, the uh, senior citizen activist from Vermont. Oh, yes, 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 that Doris Granny D. Haddock. Yes. Who walked across America for campaign finance reform at the age of 89, turning 90, you know, 26,000 miles into the desert. And she was a huge campaign finance reform a uh, person that was just, um, you know, arrested at the Capitol for reading the Declaration of Independence, put put in before the judge that said, you're going to jail for what? For reading the Declaration of the in, of Independence. She was a remarkable person. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she had a book put out called uh, My 90th Year in America. <laughs> you're never too old to raise a little bit of hell. And, um, you know, she died at the age of 100 mm. on March 22nd. Three days before she died, she'd walked three miles on that Sunday. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and my daughter, actually, at the age of 10, um, gave her, um, read a letter from President Obama to her uh, 100th anniversary and uh, read it at the Capitol. Yeah. She was very inspiring. And who touts her name a lot? Elizabeth Warren. She's real big on Doris Granny D. Haddock and what she did. You know, she got the, you know, contributions. Uh, uh, it was, uh, what do they call it? The um, small contributions that, uh, it was a F McFe uh, Feingold and. Um, Russ Feingold and, and uh, who and, was the other um, one? Um, uh, who just passed. Um, 
It was uh, it was a Republican, right? Uh, who who? I think I should know who, this. No, no. Who who who? Trump dissed. He. Uh, oh, McCain, John McCain. McCain. So yeah. the McCain Feingold, Feingold yeah, yeah. The, you know the contributions. Now they killed that later on. Yeah. They, uh, but um, boy, it's just and so yes, I was all right. Completely so I, I, involved I, in that. I was you know think of an older it's like a senior citizen stereotyping. I was thinking of an older activist, and I made you a Bernie supporter when in fact it was. Uh, not Bernie support. All right, let's move on to property tax, property taxes, property taxes. You run a property tax appeal business, have for years. You've been on this issue forever. Back in the 80s, you and I, uh, we used to talk about this stuff. You're working for Pat Quinn, who's at the Board of Appeals. Uh, you've been championing the notion that people are, uh, that the system is unfair and uh, for a long time, and you ran uh, for assessor in the last go around. Uh, I uh, stood up for your right to be on the ballot. I still t- t- talk about it all the time about how unfairly you were treated uh, by the people who uh, determine who gets on the ballot. That said, you uh, lost the race to Fritz Kage, and the, as, the, as you see these notices going out, people are learning that uh, their property taxes are going up, they're enraged, they're mad. Are you secretly happy that you didn't get elected so that people wouldn't be calling you to complain? I'll tell you, it's like, you know, you almost dodged a bullet when you see all of the problems that are happening and, and coming to public because of Keggy, you know, promise for a tra- more transparent office. And you find out, and I've known this all along, that he's grossly understaffed. And then he, you know, let go of about, you know, 100 people under the Berrios regime. And you can't get complaints docketed. First time in 30 years, I've never seen this where they, you put in a complaint to the assessor, online, whatever, you can't get it docked, docketed immediately. Um, you, the decisions that are coming out are not good, not favorable. It's like half of you will lose your, your case before the assessor's office for the lack of people who understand how to make the decisions, whether it's a commercial reduction or residential. And so you see a shutdown of those things coming out of the assessor's office and a huge influx of tax appeals that are going to hit the Cook County Board of Review that will be opening up to get here their All right, cases. So just so people understand, a little primer here, uh, property taxes are determined by a rate, which applies to absolutely everybody, so the same rate. But then what the, the, uh, the varying factor is how much the assessor determines your property is worth. And so the lower your property is worth, the less you'll pay in taxes. The rate stays the same. The higher your property taxes are worth, the more you'll pay in taxes. So that's why I've always encouraged people, or at least I have for the when the light went on with me is that you may you know when if you if you want to pay less in taxes uh you should appeal uh your taxes then we see things like this andrea and you brought the article the chicago tribune to get a give the kid a hal dartic credit very good story about todd ricketts uh who is one of the cup co-owners loves donald trump and uh, raises money for Donald Trump. Somehow or other, uh, he managed to take adv- advantage of a little quirk in our system with his property. Where is it? In Wilmette, beautiful Wilmette. You want to explain what he did and that resulted in him paying less in taxes? Well, in, in this case, uh, they bought the property mm-hmm. and uh, it was a 2,200 square foot home. They leveled it. They, brought the, they bought a second lot next to it mm-hmm. and they cleared the home off of that. And then they built a 5,000 square foot home on one of the lots. After that, they said the permits went into the uh, uh, Wilmette village, or I think that's Winneka village. And somehow the 
the, the, the demolition did not get to the assessor's office. With that, the assessor never knew that the property was just, you know, was 5,000 square feet. They just taxed it on a 2,200 square foot home. Mm -hmm. And that probably caused a gross underassessment. I mean, I think his taxes um, were 22,000 and now they're thinking that they should have been 33,000. And they can go back three years and ask him to pay the the back taxes on that. Um, You know, there's a lot of problems with the system. I and mean, we, we look at the Cook County Assessor's website, cookcountyassessor.com. You can put in your address. See what pictures come up on that a- on your address. They're taken in 2007 and 2008. Rarely do you see new photographs of those homes on the website. That's a big problem. The IT, uh, F, it's just, it's like you could put Google link under that photograph to get the proper photo on there. But we are light years away. Even Lake County has real-time photos and actual digital drawings of your home, the, the footprint of your home, with the accurate square footage. That's Lake County. They bring in $12 million in, in property taxes. We bring in $13 billion. Mm-hmm every year and it goes up you would think that an agency that is collecting 13 billion dollars would have a better system where you could actually see what your house looks like and see the property record card where you see the drawing on it just the way they have in lake county that brings in 12 million Mm -hmm. grossly neglected agency um the county is the only county that has not raised its property taxes and ta- tax rate. It's locked in. So where are they going to get the money? And Kagi is saying, Assessor Kagi says, we need $88 million to improve, you know, and, and, and bring it back to bring it up to the 21st century. Right now, it's like in the 18th century. So do you think instances like where Todd, the, Todd Ricketts, again, this is one of the cub owners who uh, fundraiser for Donald Trump, finance chair of the Republican National Committee, uh, was able to uh, uh, <laughs> pretend as though he was living in a small house when he was living in a mansion and was paying a lower rate. Do you think uh, he got away with that because there weren't enough employees at the county uh, assessor's office? I think that when you run a tax appeal firm Mm -hmm. and your client is that high profile, you look at that case, you look at it carefully. You look to see, is his square footage correct? Because if it's not, you wanna correct it and and adjust his tax bill downward, hopefully. Mm -hmm. You look at the square footage, you look at the sales in the area, you see if the market value is too high. You look at, is he, does he get his, all his property exemptions? They did none of that. Now, maybe that, that, that law firm handed it down to a junior tax consultant or whatever. But they filed on the old house that was seen on the assessor's website and that had the square footage 2000. I don't know. I have or we have high-profile clients. We look carefully at everything we don't want to have anything like that story in that no way tell the truth now let's just pretend it's just you and me talking you're telling me if a client comes to you and let's say the client's name is doris and uh that doris is actually living in a mansion but the county assessor for whatever reason uh is uh taxing doris as though she lived in a shack 
and you saw this and you saw you realized that if you told the assessor the truth about where Doris was living, that would cost your client another twenty thousand a year. Would you tell the assessor that Doris was living in a mansion not a shack? I would absolutely tell my high end client with that, you know, four million dollar home that's assessed of its as if it's nine hundred thousand that he has a problem, and that problem is the assessor has the wrong square footage on his home, that if he ever thinks about filing a tax appeal, he's got to come clean. Mm -hmm. I also encourage them, and I give these tax seminars, pro bono, 40 of them a year, and in that seminar I say, if you go and look at your property record card and it, it, it says it's 2,000 square feet, and you really have 3,000 square feet, mm -hmm. and you've got a problem. You've got a 1,000 square foot that is not on the assessment rolls. What are you going to do about it? You can't just not say anything. We're all trying to get into heaven. we got to be honest. <laughs> so I tell the yeah. class and I tell my clients yeah. that if you disclose that square footage <laughs> error in a letter to the assessor and get it registered, and if the assessor doesn't send a field man out in 16 months, he cannot back tax you for that property being underassessed and off rolls. He can't because there's a state statute that says if you tell the assessor that your property record card is an error, there's a square footage problem, and he doesn't dispatch someone in 16 months, it's not fair for someone to tell them this and then they not correct it. They don't go back three years, but they will correct it in the future. And they, they would correct it under that law, and we've seen that happen. So, you know, you're, you're protected in a way, but let's just say put things in perspective. There are 1.8 million parcels in Cook County. Half of them are homes. And how many fieldmen do they have? 20. Mm -hmm. So they don't even have enough fieldmen to go out there and yeah. check those things. But you can do it. Through Google, and you can see, you know, a house through Google, and then look at it on the property. So you're record. saying that uh, the assessor's office needs more investigators. Absolutely, absolutely. They need need better technology. They need to be able to put these things back on the assessment rolls. But the taxpayers should know they have a right to, um, if if they find something that is off the assessment rolls, let's say you didn't know you had a garage there. The assessor finds it and says, okay, I want to put that garage back, and it's worth $50,000. Yeah. You don't have to say, take $50,000 and, you know, three years back taxes and $500 penalties and, and interest at 10% a month. You can say, look, the garage is a teardown. It's probably worth $10,000, you know, and then you can appeal based on the overvaluation of newly discovered property and take it to the board of review. That was a law that we worked at and we got passed uh, through the General Assembly. I had a client once that had a property, commercial property. They had built a Quonset hut and when it was reassessed, it was reassessed like 150%. He didn't know that they didn't pick up on the Quonset hunt because, they, you know, these properties would get these huge increases. So after they found that, they backtaxed him 10 years, going back 10 years, and said he had to pay it in 30 days. So that's when we oh my dis God. dispatched. They can do that? They did do that. Horror stories. So we went down to Springfield. We cut it back to three years. And we also said, you know, they can appeal it. 30 the value. days. Yeah. And we got it in 60. We got it six months. Yeah. So, I mean, we were working on a lot of reform that needed to be done for decades. And we got, you know, six great laws passed, and we're going to keep doing that. 
in the future, but people are pissed off about property taxes. Oh, I know that. I could tell you that I'm pissed off about it. I'm not I happy. Pay. And the problem is, I, 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 I've told this story so many times. I've told you this story. I woke up one day and realized, back in the early O's and realized my property taxes doubled. Oh, what? And uh, that's when I took the deep dive in learning about property taxes. And we'll go to break. But I'll, before we go to break, I'll just say it um, one more time. The fundamental problem with property taxes is that we're too dependent on them. It's a basically a regressive form of taxation, Andrea. You know that. I know that. And because they fund our public schools here in the state of Illinois, we have this huge dependence on them. Uh, it's not just the city of Chicago, but it's Wilmette, where the Ricketts guy, who loves Donald Trump more uh, than I love fried chicken, uh, that where he lives. So it's not. It's everywhere. And we have to somehow or other re- reduce our dependence on them uh, if we want to reduce the, the bill. Uh, Andrea Rayla, property tax guru, is uh, my guest. We'll be right back after this. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, it's amazing. Listen to this. Furniture, appliances. Yeah, someone on the live stream asked appliances. Yeah, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. It is a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you are ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, Tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at GreenElementResale.com. Go to Green Element Resale and save tons of money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times, our beautiful studio. Andrew Arela is in the studio with Wait, us. Wait, hold on. We forgot something. Ah! <laughs> Man, I forgot that. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All there we go. All right, that super cool music means the end of another super cool show, but it's not over yet. And by the way, D, did oh, you yeah. know this? Andrea Rayla is our guest. She knows everything about property taxes. She also plays a mean keyboard. That's Andrea Rayla on the piano over there. Man. She knows property taxes and she plays the piano. What a multi-talented woman. Man. <laughs> that joke's been going six months strong, baby. You know, and I forgot it until you played that music. I love that joke so much. Doris Davenport also plays a mean piano when she's on the show. She plays it well, too. All right, before we bring, I got a couple more questions. I'm not done with Andrea Raley yet. What you got for me? Do you got an update? All right, that's uh, what we're doing here. It is the... Bernie question. Oh, the Bernie. All right. I already answered the Biden question. Go ahead. Biden. All right. So the Bernie question here. What the hell is happening to this man's presidential campaign? He and his campaign workers had to hash a few things out over the weekend. Now, as you may know, a while back, his campaign became the first to unionize its workers. And 
As you may also know, Sanders strongly supports a $15 an hour minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Over the weekend, Bernie Sanders' campaign staffers argued that the candidate should apply his rhetoric to his own employees and they should be paid $15 an hour. A draft letter from the staffers read, quote, Given our campaign's commitment to fighting for a living wage of at least $15 an hour, we believe it's only fair that the campaign would carry through this commitment to its own field team. That makes sense to me. Well, good news, Bernie bros. This miniature campaign fire has been put out. Sanders told CNN today that an agreement between the campaign and the union, which he said was first offered months ago, has now been accepted. He added that he believed the deal would allow staffers to be paid, quote, more than $15 an hour. (laughs) It's Bernie. That's great imitation. Now, okay, so that fire's out. Let's tend to the bigger fire happening for the Bernie Sanders campaign as we speak. His dip in the polls. The following comes from The Guardian. Bernie Sanders' polling and fundraising numbers are starting to dip Mm. as other presidential candidates co-opt their ideas that help propel the Vermont Senator's 2016 campaign against Hillary Clinton. Guardian reporter Lauren Gambino writes, His once-sturdy second-place standing in the polls has slipped. This quarter, Sanders was outraised by Elizabeth Warren, his closest ideological rival, who has also rejected high-dollar fundraisers. And in Miami last month, in the first Democratic presidential debate, Sanders was largely overshadowed by the clash between the former Vice President Joe Biden, seen as the current frontrunner, and Senator Kamala Harris of California, who has been rising in profile and polls. Squeezed by questions over electability and a deep desire among Democrats to elevate women and people of color, Sanders is attempting to reset the debate on his own terms. All right, the Bernie question. Ben Jarofsky, Andrea Rayla. <laughs> Are those of the left-leaning slash progressive persuasion falling out of love with Mr. $27 himself, Bernie Sanders? And we saw how effective in the last debate uh, Kamala Harris was. Will we see anything new in the upcoming debate from the other really old candidate in this race to get back up in the polls. All right. Uh, first of all, I don't think they're falling out of, out of love with Bernie Sanders. I think that progressive lefty voters, whatever you want to call us, uh, have other options. In 2016, it was Bernie versus Hillary. And Hillary was very much the centrist Democrat, uh, the mainstream <laughs> Democrat, sort of like the next in line Democrat after Barack Obama. And um, so as such... Bernie symbolizes, it's hard to say, you know, he was the oldest guy that ever ran, I think, for, but he, uh, like a whole new way of looking at government. And as such, he had that whole feel to himself. So anybody of the real lefty persuasion had nowhere else to go but Bernie. Now, I mean, Bernie's a victim of his own success to a certain degree. There's Elizabeth Warren running as a Bernie person. Uh, there's uh, Tulsi Gabbard is is running sort of as a Bernie person. Uh, who else? Uh, uh, Kamala Harris is stealing some of Bernie's thunder. So Quit uh, stealing my moves, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think that's what it is. I still I voted for Bernie last time around, and I really appreciate what he did for the Democrats by advocating these points. If you put health care right out there and and i'll always and and college the, the crazy cost of college but let's face it d 
the competition stiffer. Uh, you agree with me on that one, I Andrea? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, it's, so it's not just Bernie against Hillary. It's Bernie against a lot of people. We're going to see what... I'm really looking forward to the next debates uh, yeah. because I know, by the way, speaking of Doris Davenport, we'll be bringing her in to talk about the next debates because Bernie's going to have to make a stand in this debate. Joe Biden's going to have to rebound, Andrea. You're a political junkie. You know this. He didn't do too well that first time around. He's going to have to come back strong, have to figure out a way to you know, establish his credibility to lefties. If I defend him, boy, do I get the, yeah, stop defending Biden. It just makes me want to defend him more. Yeah. Uh, you know me, I'm a contrarian. You push me, they push back. Yeah. All right, Andrew Rayleigh, before we bring on Leah for the last word from Leah, not ready to do that yet. I got to follow up two things. Number one, you talked about escrow accounts and how they've been suffering because of the property tax hikes. And number two, I want to ask you about which areas of the Chicagoland uh, have been hit the hardest. So let's start with the escrow account. Well, people have seen their tax bills double and sometimes even go up 80%. They don't see the reassessment and the increase when they have escrow accounts. Sometimes that notice doesn't get to them. Whenever that tax bill has the bank on it or they have an escrow account, they're not looking. They're not looking at their new notices or their new bills. So all of a sudden, they don't, they don't appeal. They've got a tax bill that have gone from $6,000 to twelve and 13000 And the escrow account is giving, you know, a little bit every month to pay for a $6,000 bill. Bam, they get a July 1st tax bill, and these escrow accounts are empty. And the, the banking industry is going crazy. So are the homeowners. Um, and it's amazing. We've gotten so many calls from people, especially the ones with the escrow accounts, a lot of times they will not have a homeowner or a senior exemption because the escrow account, will, the, the department won't call them up and say, oh, by the way, your tax bill doesn't have a homeowner's or a senior exemption. So beware, if you're a property owner you should, and you live in that home or condo, yeah. you should get a homeowner's exemption, which is worth $669 in Chicago. In some areas, it's worth $710, depending on the tax rate. Mm -hmm. In the South, when it, the tax rates double, your homeowner's exemption could be $1,000. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to take a look online, cookcountytreasure.com, cookcountytreasure.com. Go online, put in your address, and see, do you have those exemptions that are critical? Yeah. They're keeping some people in their homes. Absolutely. And uh, all right, so let's talk about which areas of the Chicago area are hit, have been hit hardest uh, by the property tax bills. That just I just paid mine about two weeks ago. I was moaning and groaning about it, but I went and paid it. Uh, I got to pay that bill. I don't want to lose my house. Uh, so which area has been hit hardest? Well, one of the hardest hit areas is actually in the Lakeview area. It was in neighborhood code 39, has some, you know, 50 homes, and it went up on the average, on an average 39%, but people around there got 60 and 80% increases. So my tax bill went from $9,000 to $13,000. Wait, time out. Your annual tax bill is $13,000? No. Or your, uh, annual. So, okay, $13,000. Yeah. So it went from 9 to 13 Yes, yes. So, I mean, I, you know, I appealed and will appeal again. But it was, those are huge increases. So that's in the Edgewater area. That's also Logan Square, Wicker Park. Um, there are some areas, obviously, the Lincoln Park. There were some areas in Jefferson Township that got hit hard. So there are these pockets of neighborhoods mm -hmm. that got. And then when it came to Hyde Park, half of Hyde Park's 
the taxes went down, and the other half around the University of Chicago skyrocketed Wait, up. Wait, time out. Down, as in they're paying less now less. than they paid last year? Half of Hyde yeah. Park Township, yes. <laughs> Wait, I can't even get now, the remem- words out. Remember, this was the, these townships, yeah. all of Chicagoland was reassessed by the, the old administration, Joe Berrios' administration. Uh-huh. And so, you know, those, those increases were substantial and people are scratching their heads in that area. It's all over the news, you know, that, that they don't, yes, they want to see that there is a, a better balance in the property taxes in, in the brown communities and white communities, but they didn't, you know, who would in their right mind think, oh, I can predict my taxes might go up, you know, 10 or 15%, but then they get a hundred percent increase, especially businesses, uh, 150%. It's ridiculous. In my increases. entire history of paying property taxes, I've been paying property taxes since 1985. I want to let you know that. In my entire history of paying property taxes, they never went down. I mean, the in the 80s and the 90s, they went up a little bit, little bit, little bit. You know, I barely know it. I'm telling you, it was in the early O's. Like, good God. Uh, and that's when I started calling Andrew Array, like, what's going on? Uh, but I've never went down. It's actually, so people like, I was paying, just to make sure I understand what goes down means. You tell me someone last year, like, paid $1,000 and this year is paying 900 Absolutely. Or they paid a $5,000 tax bill or 6000 and it went down to 4000 And it was the... It, because their market values okay. actually dropped in those areas. And by the way, market values also dropped in, in on the Gold Coast and up in, in Winnetka, where these $14 million homes, you know, don't cry, but they cannot sell for any more now than $3 million or oh, $4 million. Hold on, I'm sobbing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so guess what? Their yeah. tax bills actually went down. A couple of the, the, the higher-end homes values went down, and their property taxes will go down when they open up their bill in 2020 this is all insane this is crazy this the property tax system is is crazy again i believe in progressive taxation andrea so the more money you have the more of a contribution you should make and uh, you, if you're playing this game where your taxes your 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 house you built this gazillion dollar mansion which you can't sell so now you're going to pay more in taxes sorry not feeling sorry for you you shouldn't have built the mansion in the first place you well, know what i'm saying you're the expert with the tiff right and you were actually quoted in a big article back in 2015 by the Illinois uh, by the IAAO it's the International Assessing Officers Association it was an article they 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 talked about your study and I think I sent it to you but the 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 real issue is is now more than ever I think is tiffs we have people in businesses and that have been affected by tiffs and they also might have a SSA a special service area 70% to 40% of their entire property tax yeah. bill goes into that TIF and that SSA fund. Yeah. So we're supposed to be spending more than 50%, you know, our property taxes, you know, yes, goes toward the schools, but you see that less and less. And the state has never come up to its a, a burden of paying 51% of the school funding. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's a terrible, you know. Well, don't get me started on TIFs. It's at the end of a show, you get me started on TIFs, I can go on and on, but we just created an enormous TIF in the city of Chicago, the Lincoln Yards TIF, and uh, almost all the property taxes in some of those lots will be going to the TIF. And if you're not able to tax the property in the Lincoln Yard TIF, some of the most expensive, valuable property uh, in the city of Chicago. Guess what, Andrea Rayla? 
everybody else has to pay more to compensate for the property tax dollars that are not being collected in that TIF. It's a property tax hike. And uh, yeah, you're right. Folks don't know about it. The city misleads people. The county misleads people. They want to pretend that it's not a property tax hike. Well, there's a whisper out there, and the whisper is that even the FBI is taking a look at these TIFs and how they were formulated and what's going on. That's I, a whisper. Wow. I didn't hear that. Nobody whispers that stuff to me. About time, FBI. That's what I say. And by the way, you're welcome, Hyde Park. I took the hit for you uh, this But half year. of them got a big increase, too. All right. So, D, it's that time of the day where, why don't you do the introduction for Leah here? Absolutely. We have an editor here on the program. She's fantastic. All right. She does a great job. She grabs the guest, makes her show seem current, hip. It's cool. Oh my goodness. Her name's Leah. She's fantastic. And it's time for a segment that we like to call Leah's last word. Where did you get that? I don't know. It's kind of cool, right? <laughs> yeah, I like that little touch. All right, Leah. Hi. Hi, Andrea. Um, so this question is only tangentially related to property taxes, so it's okay if you don't have an answer. But Right now in the state of Illinois and in many other states, uh, property taxes or education, public education is funded by property taxes. And this leads to disparities in funding for public school um, amongst school districts. And I think this is ridiculous. Um, but my question is, why do we fund public schools by property taxes and why hasn't there been outcry or action by state legislators to uh, change the way we fund schools. There actually has been. As a matter of fact, you know, the big push is to consolidate school districts so that when um, a school in Chicagoland, one student public in, in the public schools might get $6,000 from that property tax fund. Another person in Winnetka who's a student at Nutrier might get $22,000 to cover. It's the disparity is disgraceful. So what did we see? We saw about 10 years ago, Jesse Jackson driving a busload of kids from a, a public school into the Nutrier area and dropping off and saying, you know, protesting. But, you know, it almost takes a constitutional convention to change these things, doesn't it? So if, if, if we could put a constitutional question on the ballot, it would be let us consolidate school districts and figure out how to make it equal so that they get equal, every student, no matter where they live, get equal share of the property tax dollar. Do you have a follow-up? Yeah, so would that um, maybe include like a lot of busing uh, initiatives? Maybe. Absolutely. Or going to your legislator and say, hey, why don't we talk about consolidation of school districts so that we can all get our fair share of the property tax dollars? Well, when you ask that question, why uh, do we have this? It's one of my favorite questions, the why question. Like when I discover something that's unfair or illogical uh, or wasteful. And I also, as a journalist, I'll explain what's going on. And then you get to the why is it this way? And I and actually I do not have the answer to that question, the specific why question. In other words, we have a system, Andrea, where we largely depend on property taxes to fund our schools. The state contribution is relatively low uh, in, in connection with other states. Uh, the federal government's contribution is relatively low, uh, far less than it should be. And so the state is... Um, uh, we have a flat tax for our income tax. The, 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 uh, the federal government has a more progressive uh, graduated tax. They would be, I guess, you would, it would be more, uh, it would be fairer to have the federal government pay, pay more of the, property, of the school bill than the property tax because 
that's a more progressive form of taxation. And yet we rely on the property tax. So the why question is, why did the people, the supposedly best and brightest people who run the state of Illinois, why did they allow this system to exist? Why did they set up the system? Do you know that was in 1969. We had our first constitutional convention. People cut their teeth becoming, uh, you know, uh, elected daily uh, was in there. Um, Carol uh, Mosley Braun, um, Don Clark Netch. These are key people that eventually had long political careers. They convene and 118 of them set up the system as you see it today. Mm -hmm. And it's been locked in there for 40 years and and it literally it takes the legislature the political will to make those changes and they could vote it through but you got republicans and democrats and the political gridlock it's not going to happen the only way to do it is to have a constitutional convention we put one question on the ballot in november what is it going to be whether or not we have a graduated income tax. Are we going to vote for that? We don't know. But the new constitutional convention is right around the corner. It's in 2028. And we should try to convene so that we can make these changes because you can't get it out of the legislator, uh, legislators. They, they're just too too much politics there. Andrew Arela and I have been having various conversations, Leah, uh, since f way before you were born. And one conversation we've been having uh, for all those years is constitutional convention. I recall you talking this way back in the 80s. 1988 was our <laughs> one, the one that we had. Yeah. And, you know, we, we lost that. We were outspent. Uh, to $150,000 to $14 million. And it was the, it was the you know, it was chambers of commerce, um, unions, everybody in the status quo that said, no, we don't want to change pension reform. We don't want to do any of, any of the graduated income tax. And so it, it lost. And then we had it in, in 2008. And what was happening in 2008? We're voting on our first president that was uh, Barack Obama. So it was a little, you know, people were a little Distracted, bit distant. Yeah. But they still were outspent. We were still outspent. And, uh, you know, we lost that that vote. So we're still gearing up for 2028. All right. That's Andrea Rayla, property tax expert. Andrew, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you? They can go and log on to taxestohigh.com. Taxes, T-O-O-I. <laughs> I agree with that. So does Pritzker and so does uh, Todd Ricketts. They're doing everything they can to <laughs> dodge their tax bill. Uh, Taxes2high.com. That's two, the the T-O-O-2? Right. Okay. I went to have and, a high and school. And high, H-I-G-H. All right, very good. Thank you so much, Andrew Rayla, for being you. my guest. I uh, also want to thank uh, Derek Clifton and Maya Dukmasova. Uh, did a great job when they were on the show earlier. Uh, Leah, you did a great job as always. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton. Andrew, you know what they call him back home in Alton? You know, you know what his nickname what? is? White Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's finish the show. Come on. Let's wrap it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> White Lightning, back home in Alton, Illinois. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader website, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts and downloaders, we live stream this program Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Same websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Check us out. Get a look at Ben Jarofsky's face when he does the show. It ain't too pretty. And to each his own, I guess. See you tomorrow.